I began working at the Skirvin Hotel in downtown Oklahoma City when I was in college. It was a very high-class hotel, and a friend of mine had suggested I look into working room service. The hours were flexible and the tips were nice. Also, the occasional celebrity would stop in, so I'd sometimes get an opportunity to say hello. The hotel is the oldest in Oklahoma City and is also haunted. I learned of this within my first few weeks there. I'm not one to be superstitious or worry about entities that cannot be seen or heard. But late at night, one day in the kitchen, when the staff complained about their machine turning on without them, I asked what happened. Their response was a casual, Oh, that's just Effie. Who? I responded. I was met with surprise and asked how I had not heard of Effie, the girl who stays at the hotel permanently. Um, absolutely I was interested and discovered that Effie is not her real name, only how she is known around the hotel. The staff was not supposed to speak about Effie to or around guests, as apparently the Skirvin's owners did not want the hotel to become a haunted destination. The story goes that she was the mistress of the old owner of the hotel. During Prohibition, the affair led to a baby, and to prevent scandal, she was locked in a room on the top floor. Perhaps due to the distress or shame, this poor young woman eventually decided to leave the hotel with her baby, taking the fastest route off the 14-story building. I heard tales of weeping babies during the night. Guests would call down to the front desk to complain only to discover that they alone were checked in to stay overnight on that particular floor. Tales of single men hearing feminine whispers, propositioning them. Bathtub faucets being turned on full in the night. Even as I worked there myself, professional basketball teams would come to play our home team and stay at the Skirvin. After they would lose the next day, it would arise that they were kept awake by our local Effie and did not get the proper sleep that night. Working in room service, however, I can personally assure you the libations and other non-ghostly women visiting the rooms that night were more than enough to keep those men awake. My story happened on New Year's Eve 2014. The owners of a prominent restaurant in town had reserved the presidential suite on the top floor with all the amenities including champagne and a cheese, meat, and fruit tray. They had even reserved the adjoining room in case friends or family joined them for the festivities. By 11 p.m., the hotel was mostly empty save for the bar. It seemed the entire downtown block was busy enjoying the cold night and ready to watch the ball drop. Inside the halls of the hotel, it was eerily quiet. I would usually pass by someone making my rounds delivering food or amenities to rooms, but not this night. 11.15, and I had delivered two other rooms their amenities for the evening. As I made my way to the top floor, I realized I was excited because I had never been in the presidential suite before and was eager to see what was so very special. I knocked once, twice, announcing myself as room service as usual. The other guests with amenities had not been home, so these fine and fancy guests would probably not be either. I keyed into the room, again announcing room service so as to not surprise anyone. It was dark in the room. Completely dark, save for the hallway light. I flipped a switch before grabbing the food tray. 
I was amazed at the size of the dining area. A large table with a sink nearby, to the right a small office space with a desk next to the doorway to the adjoining room, to the left a living room, couch, and television set. Just beyond that was the master bedrooms and bathrooms, but I didn't make it that far. I felt odd. Cold. I had been in dark rooms many times, alone in that hotel many times, but as we approached midnight, I felt odd. The room was clearly empty, no sign of anyone having checked in yet. It was so satisfyingly quiet. The kind of quiet you would want when meditating or attempting to remove yourself from the world to read a good book. But I didn't like it. I took a breath, ready to poke around a bit more, and then I heard the door latch. Not from the presidential suite door, but from the door in the office area, the door to the adjoining room. My heart jumped and my breath quickened, not from sight or sound of a ghost, but as hotel staff, you don't want to be caught idling too long in someone's room. It's just weird. From the adjoining room, I have no idea if someone is coming in or just latching the door closed, but having fulfilled my duties, food tray and champagne on the table, I left, back down the hall, down the elevator to our room service office to bring in the new year. Here's where things get strange. I slept in the next day, but had to be back at work by noon. Time and a half is pretty nice. When I got there, I saw security going past me headed upstairs. Not just hotel security but the police officer that assists on busy nights and holidays. I asked what the fuss was about and was told that the restaurant owners had never checked in. Not to the presidential suite or the adjoining room. When housekeeping had gone up to check the rooms, they found the presidential suite empty and untouched. But the adjoining room had been latched and locked from the inside. Now, when a room is latched, the key will open the door, but the latch will prevent it from opening more than a peek inside. The lock, however, will prevent the door from opening at all. Both of these systems can only be activated from inside the room. When a room is latched and locked, there is usually going to be a response from the person inside, especially after their checkout time has passed. As is rare, hotel staff finds that when there is no response to a locked door, something's wrong. Since housekeeping could not enter the room adjoining the presidential suite from the hallway or from inside the suite using the door next to the office, they assumed a medical situation might be preventing the person inside from answering. In order to bypass these locks that were closed from the inside, security has to have maintenance take apart the mechanism and unlock it using a special device. When they finally got the door open, the room was empty. No one had checked in on New Year's Eve. Not in the presidential suite, not in the adjoining room. I heard the door lock and latch with my own ears. The food was untouched. I returned the champagne myself. How anyone could have been in those rooms that night to lock or latch the doors is well beyond me. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I am a relieved Michael Tatum. Relieved that you that, haven't stayed in the Skirvin? No, I want to stay in the Skirvin now, especially. I want to get that yeah. presidential suite and see right? what happens. Right, see what happens. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm, on an unrelated note, I'm just relieved that the holidays are over. 
Almost. Almost. Well, the, 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 the holidays that... I, yeah. New Year's is fine. That doesn't bother me. Because you're not really obligated to spend it with your family. Yeah. In fact, I feel like New Year... I, th- I feel like we celebrate New Year when we do as a culture because everyone's like, I need a party. Like right. a real party. Not, have... not the kind of party where, you know... We have to deal with mom and dad and right brother now, and, sister and I need an excuse to drink so much I'm going to forget the last month. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a great story. Yeah, I love it, man. I oh, I that think, it was from Aaron. Thank you, Aaron, for sending in this. Aaron, story. our Aaron. Hey. We know Aaron. Yes, we, we know, know Aaron personally. Yeah. Good, good people. Good yeah. people. Yeah, credible source. Like also a fellow, fellow, a fellow Oki, a fellow Oki, a fellow Oki, a fellow Oki, and a fellow Thespian. Yes, he's an actor and musician. And musician. Uh, no. He and his wife are uh, professional uh, classical musicians. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know I if that, that adds any veracity to their story, but it certainly they're disciplined people. Right. So I think that tells us something. I love. Every time I check into a hotel, part of me hopes that it's haunted, and that yeah. I get, and that I get a room with some activity in it. I just need sleep a lot. So I'm always like, I just want to be able to sleep, though. I Well, it's, you know, flip a coin. I <laughs> sometimes, in exchange for a really good story, um, I'll I'll go without sleep yeah. for a night or two. Right. I've stayed in the Skirman. Yeah? Yeah. Is it, is it nothing night? happened. Is it, nothing happened? No, I well, was clearly disappointed. You were not, well, clearly, if, I mean, you have to be in the presidential suite. The ghosts Maybe. Are, we were not. The ghosts but I had discriminate gone to a wedding against people that was up. middle class or below. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I had gone to a wedding there that was up on one of the upper floors, wherever oh. the ballroom is. Um, and then my a friend Renee and I were going to go investigate, but we didn't. <laughs> I can't remember why. Probably dancing and alcohol, I'm guessing. Oh, well. She was also playing in the band. That, that, that kind of limits your ability wedding, to get so away. She, yeah, she didn't have much freedom there. Um, See, when Brandon, so Brandon and I are in the process of actually looking for some place to have our wedding, and we specifically want a place that's haunted. That's haunted, right? Because <laughs> I mean, I want a place that's haunted, so that the wedding party at some point can like pull away from the reception and go do a ghost tour. Perfect. That's kind of the dream. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, that makes sense. The, but the I know you know just from uh, being from Oklahoma and having family there and everything that. The basketball thing was a big deal, though, because some of oh, yeah. some players from other teams refused to stay there because so much shit has happened. Because they wouldn't get good sleep. Like, I think Meta World Peace is one of those guys that doesn't like it. Meta World Peace? Is that uh, someone's name? Yeah. What well, the, the fuck? S- That's someone's name? Yeah. That Meta like, World I can't Peace. explain it. Well, I mean, with a name like Meta World Peace, I would he assume... He changed it to that. I really that was a choice look in today's age <laughs> well no I guess in today's age but yeah. I, I think Meta it World Peace does sound like a person who likes his quiet right and now I could be completely wrong and that's just one basketball player I know so I'm saying his name <laughs> this is and I've just started. plugged it into that memory but yeah no it's it's a it's a big deal and it's it is beautiful though it's a beautiful hotel. It's really pretty. It's beautiful, classy. Yeah. From that sort of opulent era, the Gilded mm-hmm. Age era hotels. I mean, as embarrassing as that age is right. in histor- historical the, terms, like they've made some pretty stuff. Yes, they have. They uh, and the people there actually. Every employee I met who worked there was lovely. I have a confession to make. I love living out of hotels. 
That's not, I think you've said that before. Have I said it before? I think well, you I did. guess it's not really a confession then, isn't it? Maybe it, you've just told me. I love, I love living out of hotels. I mean, I feel like I, sp- I have spent half my life in a hotel room. Yeah. And not all hotels are created equal. Like, we're talking about, like, normal, run-of-the-mill, like, crappy, me. Yeah, no. Cookie-cutter hotels. I'm not about four that star life. Or but, above. like, the four-star, like, unique hotels mm-hmm. that are, like, kind of play up how different they are. Uh, I love. I, there's yeah. something magical about being in a hotel room. And it makes my experience where I'm traveling so much better if I have a good home base, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like when we, you know, whenever we travel, if I get a yeah. good hotel room, I'm like, man, even if I'm only there for a few hours a day, it makes a difference knowing that I'm going to go back to this awesome room with a really good service and the beds are comfortable and the, the yes. shower design is so great. That I stayed in a hotel recently where the shower design actually had, it was a glass wall door, right? That separated the, the shower, the walk-in shower from the rest of the bathroom. But they had a hole cut out. So you could reach in to turn turn on on the the faucet. And it was the most brilliant fucking design. Give that architect a raise. Uh, Because that's what I hate about the full glass door. They're so pretty, but you have to like sneak in and like do the whole. It's like yeah. you <laughs> have like, to have a back of cold water. <laughs> yes, yes, it's so awful. So someone was like, "I'm fucking done with that, and I'm gonna just cut this beautiful cut little hole." hole. That's and actually, the true and they, glory hole. It was, <laughs> 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 I mean, it doesn't work as a normal glory hole because no. it's glass, and so right. you can see the other person, and it's like, what's the point? Um, right, it's better. The, the glory of a glory hole is not seeing the person you're having sex with. Um. So I'm told. Which I feel anyway, is only glorif- like it's only truly glor- glorifying. Glorifying. It's, it's only an, it's an ironic name. There's nothing glorious about it. It's only truly glorifying though if you know what that person looks like before, and then you can like I'm gonna make the choice. I'm gonna pretend that it's a Hemsworth brother to not um. know what this person actually. <laughs> I've seen you. I don't like it. Let's cover you up with a box of some sort. Well, speaking of like, you know, athletes and, you know, that's why they make those gigantic life-size like wall decals of them. So you have something to cover your glory hole with. That's true. Oh, oh. Uh, Anyway, so. (laughs) On that note, this is Ghoul Intentions. Oh, hey, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode. Today's episode is, what do we call it? We're calling it uh, Life is Wasted on the Living, which I like. That's from Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book, right? Now, I haven't read it yet. You need to. It's It's so good. It's in my queue. It's so good. What's it about? It's about this little boy who's raised in a graveyard. Like from a toddler. Hashtag life goals. Life goals. And um, he's actually talking to a young ghost. Well, she was young when she passed. Um, I believe she was killed from being a witch. It's been a little bit since I've read it, but, um, and which is just a break. Yeah. Late teens. Mm. And, uh, she says to him, life is wasted on the living. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. And I think both of our stories really, really deal with people who, you know, (laughs) with wars and violence and stuff like that, where, you know, there's so much life to live and we waste it so often by killing each other. Yeah, my mine isn't so much about that. It's just about rich people. Um, oh. Well, it's wasted on them, too, fuckers. It kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think hotels have a, a, a penchant for being haunted because so many people go through there. So many lives are kind mm-hmm. of led. And so, so much a lot of drama happens in a hotel. Absolutely. As any, anyone who works at one can tell you. 
You know, it's where people go to have extramarital affairs. Yes. It's where people go uh, to kick off their vacations, and people bring a lot of baggage on those vacations. What brings them to the vacation? It was a pun. You know. You just made a pun. Uh huh. I didn't even mean to. That's <laughs> I how. Know. I had to tell you. Instinct. Um, But a lot of of shit goes down at a hotel because people, when they're not at home, the things people will do in their homes away from home, it's like they become another person. Right. You know, so they kind of, they go go to a hotel and they indulge their their inner Mr. or Mrs. Hyde sometimes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things, and, and just law of averages, you know, a hotel sees a lot of people over the course of even a single year. So some of them are gonna have some shit yeah oh yeah so but your story isn't a hotel it's not a hotel but it is similar to a hotel so my i'm going to talk about the dakota which uh you may not know the name but you know the building i know there are two dakotas one is north and one is south (laughs) it's not one of those there's also a johnson Um, not my favorite dakota well you're gonna know you're gonna get real familiar with this dakota so the dakota uh, that i'm speaking of is actually uh an iconic and ultra exclusive apartment building in new york city on the corner of 72nd street and central park west horror movie aficionados may know it from uh, from rosemary's baby because the exteriors were used to depict the bramford the building that rosemary and her husband guy move into next door to a bunch of septuagenarian devil worshipers who want to bring the antichrist you know fun stuff as you do wholesome family film yeah uh, Once you're retired. <laughs> well, I kind of want to be an old Satanist. <laughs> I'd do it. I'd do it. I mean, just the, the clothes they get to wear. Anyway, so it's nice. The Bramford in the in the novel and in the movie, it's very, it's nice for old, it's a rent-controlled place. It has a oh. great spooky history to it. And it's just possible, too, that Ira Levin, who wrote the novel the film was based on, and the film is remarkably faithful to the novel in every last detail, it's quite probable, I think, that Ira Levin was drew inspiration for the Bramford, the the location of all the satanic activity in in the movie and in the book. Um, probably drew inspiration from the Dakota. Uh, so the Dakota was it was built in over the course of about four years. Uh, starting in 1880. It was completed in 1884. It was commissioned by this guy named Edward Cabot Clark, who uh, was the head of the Singer Manufacturing Company. Oh, uh, Singer Sewing Machines. Yes, not Singer. They didn't make singers. Uh, <laughs> um, they made yeah. Singer Sewing, sewing Machines. machines yeah. and other, so this guy was loaded, and he wanted this this apartment building. Well, he knew how to make built. a sewing machine, I'll tell you that much. Well, and I, you know, i got to tell you, so the building is is 10 stories. It's made up of about 103 different apartments. And it is so fucking exclusive, Jamie, that you and I probably couldn't even walk by without giving someone our tax returns. Like, it no. is, <laughs> they, they require years of financial records and tax returns. Years just to secure an appointment for consideration to... Be on the six or seven year waiting list. To well, get a place there. we don't want to waste anyone's um, time. Do we? Right? And and there's a lot a lot of famous people have lived there over the years. I'm just going to give read a quick list of people that have called the Dakota home. Uh, Lauren Bacall, love it. Had a beautiful ten room apartment there that was featured in a New Yorker article sometime in the '90s. Uh, Leonard Bernstein, Lillian Gish, Boris Karloff, what? Judy Garland, Gilda Radner. Hand over my heart. Um, Rosemary Clooney. Oh, I just um, watched White Christmas with the girls last uh, night, and they loved it, and I felt so successful as a person. Um, <laughs> just, awesome. if you can make a five-year-old and a seven-year-old enjoy White Christmas, knowing how much older it is, and, like, they're YouTube crazy, mm-hmm. and they 
Loved it. It was just really cool. So anyway, I'm sorry, Rosemary Clooney. It's a great time to bring kids to older movies because it's so unique now. It's such a different thing. They've never seen anything like it before. Because nothing like that gets made anymore. Everything is everything. Everything looks like a YouTube video now. I know. But it's like, oh wait, wow, wait, you can take longer time before you cut away. Holy shit! What is this magic you're speaking? Yeah, and then I got (laughs) the other thing is I'm so like into like, ooh, what's that about? And going into the history now because of this (laughs) podcast, and I was like. (laughs) What's this other? I don't know this other girl as well. Blah blah blah. And she's she's tiny. She's itty bitty thing. What's that? She had the smallest waist in Hollywood for like a decade and seventeen inches. Oh my god, that's she not was a, real skinny. Did so it's probably organs. She was probably like nineteen inches, but then they corseted it, it down a little bit. They just whalebone that shit. Yeah, but she, I mean, suck it in, ladies. She's itty suck bitty. it in. And there's this whole like rumor that. Uh, she was anorexic, and because of that, she had prematurely aged in her neck because her neck is never shown in the entire movie. It's covered up. She has high neck stuff in every single scene. And the truth of the matter is it, it's not true because that was there's... That the style. Yeah. Well, and it was... The costuming was very specific for that movie, and yeah. Rosemary had the lower cut, probably because she was supposed to be older, and huh. she was actually seven years younger. So I'm telling you, I got lost in the history of it. That kind of is, it was, I know. Is, I can't help you. myself. This is what this podcast has done to us. I go yeah. down. I've done. I've just looking at the Dakota. I went down all these rabbit holes. So, so anyway, Rosemary so, Clooney. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, other notables include like Jack Palance, uh, Maury Povich, Rex Reed, Jason Robards, an act that we know and love. And uh, in the early days of its construct of its uh, existence, in the late uh, turn of the century, rather, it was occupied by the Steinway family of the Steinway oh, Cannell wow. family. So. so so it's always been exclusive. It's always been exclusive. Okay. It has always looked the way it has. It has never changed. It was uh, designed and built by an architect named Henry Janeway Hardenberg, uh, Hardenberg who, um, this is a weird little detail that I find fascinating. He refused to outfit the building with fire escapes because it marred the aesthetic. Because wow. uh, the aesthetic is very it's a terrible it's a weird, idea. Like, f- it's weird medieval gothic meets French Renaissance meets Victorian. It's this weird. Meets can't have a fire that's escape. Why, well, so what he did to make the building quote unquote fireproof was to just dig up a bunch of mud from Central Park and slather it between the interior and exterior walls. Which apparently has worked. Now, normally when we hear that, that we'll make this building fireproof so it doesn't need fire escapes, normally that kind of hubris we associate with, like, that plays out as just another variation on the Icarus theme, like the Titanic, whatever. But today, in its um, 130-some-odd years of existence, the, the Dakota has never had a fire. Wow. Knock on wood for everyone that still lives there. Well, what we've learned is that rich people are more careful with their... Fires and flames. <laughs> well, clearly. Well, I guess, or maybe they're just never home to light a fire. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're always on vacation in the cold weather. <laughs> they just have rooms that never go. But um, <laughs> so the play, like I said, it's known for its people will know the look if they've ever seen Rosemary's Baby because all the exteriors right. of the quote unquote Bramford are shots of the actual Dakota. But it's most famous now especially among music aficionados or true crime aficionados, it's known for being where John Lennon was murdered. (gasps) Because he and his wife Yoko Ono lived there, and he was shot and killed by uh, David Chapman on December Mm -hmm. 8th, 1980, right out front. Okay. We'll get to that. Um, uh, because 
there are reports of John Lennon's ghost. There better be. Hanging out. Uh, But he's just one of several, and he's kind of more of a recent addition. So the building itself, even the guy that commissioned it, Edward Cabot of the Singer Manufacturer Company, rich dude, I mean loaded. Mm -hmm. Uh, Incidentally, it's called the Dakota because at the time it was kind of a sarcastic name. It was called the Dakota Building because it was so remote from Manhattan uh, at the time. Now it's firmly in the Upper West Side because New York is built up around it. But at the time, it was kind of the boonies. So everyone called, oh, it's the Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) It was where the rich people lived up, you know, they're practically out of state. (laughs) Right, yes. But he died before the building's completion. He did live there for two years because his his apartment, his suite of rooms were the first to be built. He was actually outfitted with sterling silver floors. Oh, my God. I cannot even imagine what a bitch that must have been to keep clean. Probably not his problem. But he died... And the building, it kind of started Sterling silver floors. I can't get over it. I can't get over it. I mean... How obnoxious. You can't have pets. <laughs> you no. can't have pets. You can't have kids. You can't have... I Wear mean, a dress. Nothing. Like, what are, you, what are you gonna do? When you get out of the shower, you can't even just... You're just gonna have to drip dry in the bathroom. There's no way. Like, I don't know. That's... I, yeah. It's insane to me. But, and to this day, like, residents that live there are not allowed to uh, make any major changes to the design. Mm-hmm. So they, like, they have to... Um, they can't just throw out anything. Uh, they have to, like, give the pieces that like say that someone doesn't like a mantelpiece or a window frame or something they're allowed to change it within reason but they cannot just throw that stuff out they have to give it to the building where it's stored in the basement right. and re and re and put it and it has to be approved by the board i'm absolutely. sure absolutely and like it's they have there's like i think melanie griffith uh, griffith was one person that like tried to get in and they wouldn't dakota. Let her, yeah the dakota <laughs> i wonder if do you think that's why she named her daughter dakota <gasps> I didn't even make that connection. Maybe they were trying to get in. They named her Dakota because they thought it'd be good luck and it didn't work. (laughs) But the Dakota is not a building known for its good luck because a lot of people have lived there, have not met very pleasant ends. Now, I know you tend to cluck your tongue at the idea of curses. (laughs) You do not disappoint. But... Some shit. I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of connections there that I'm like, I, I grant grant you, the, the the rationalist in me does kind of know. Well, shit. Yeah, you play the odds long enough, eventually they'll come true. But right. and in a building like that, there's 103 apartments and it's over 132 or three years old. Like it's it's shit's gonna happen. It's right. tragic. But there are a lot of but the poet in me, the the writer in me can't help but see a kind of common theme among some of the bad things that have happened there. Like al- almost like there's some sinister force that keeps playing and rearranging the same tragic elements. Like over an and excess over again. of money or something like that. Uh, well, no, that's just that's <laughs> always been there. <laughs> Though an excess of money does seem to create an excess of sinister force. So that's all um, I'm saying. Of course, as I said, it was used in the exteriors of Rosemary's Baby, right? And it's and and in the book and in the film, the Bramford that that the Dakota depicted in the film is known for having been like really cursed. Like it has this whole evil history, and nothing that's happened to Dakota is even remotely as sinister or evil or bloody as as what is supposed to have happened in the Bramford and Rosemary's Baby. But just people involved with Rosemary's Baby uh, had some shit happen to them. Film composer Christoph Kometa fell into a coma. He seems like he was asking for it because of his name, Kometa. Right, it's Um, in his title. uh, (laughs) Christoph Kometa fell into a coma shortly after the film's release under circumstances that 
oddly reflected one of a character named Hutch in the novel. Rosemary's friend, who tries to warn her about the witches, gets cursed and is falls into a strange coma out of the blue. Okay, that's weird. no reason whatsoever. This happened to the film's composer. Um, William Cassell, who was the producer, came down with an oddly near-fatal case of kidney stones. Oh, And during his time, which is odd for them to get that bad, but it was that bad, he had to spend about a week or so in the hospital, and during his time there, he had really intense hallucinations uh, about, like, devil worshippers and Baphomet and Rosemary's Baby, you know, which is understandable, but it was weird. Yeah. Um... Also, uh, director Roman Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate, at the time, she got really into the occult as a direct result of the film. And some people think that that's kind of what brought her to her tragic end with the Manson family. Mm. It was a weird time. It was the age of Aquarius in the late right. 60s, early 70s. I don't like that. I have to say, I don't like that because it's kind of victim blaming. Like, oh, if she hadn't done that, then this it horrible is. murderous person wouldn't have created other horrible murderous people. And she, I don't think that it's that's fair true. to say she's the but. But it, and not to victim blame her, because I just leave Sharon Tate out of it. The Manson family, in part, came to be because of a certain zeitgeist in the culture, and yes. Rosemary's Baby certainly contributed to that zeitgeist because yeah. people got real interested in the kind of the dark side of the occult in the late '60s, early '70s. But then you have to add: is it, is it that Rosemary Baby, Rosemary's Baby, created it, or was a product of what was already happening? It was just one of yeah. the first notable Six ones. One half yeah, matter. it's kind of it's, it's it's definitely interesting to kind of right. consider. But uh, but all that, again, comes kind of back to the Dakota. And, and again, bear in mind that Dakota was probably a direct inspiration on the Bramford that Ira Levin, the original author, used in the book. So, and that's just it. But there's there's several things. So uh, other people that have lived there, of course, Judy Garland lived there for a time. And her right. story thereafter was immensely tragic. Well, her story beforehand was immensely tragic. Let's be honest. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, Marilyn Monroe, who similarly met a very tragic end, of which around there's some controversy, she did not. Right live there, but she did have one of her most famous photo shoots in Judy Holloway's, Holliday's, uh, the actress Judy Holliday, who mm-hmm. lived there. Um, Marilyn Monroe had her famous photo shoot there. Right. Uh, one of her famous photo shoots there in that apartment. And Marilyn Monroe, of course, six years later, six years later, so it's been quite some time, died of an overdose. <laughs> like that you're like six years later. Like six years like later. so Like many that's years way later. longer than just six years. It's like six years. Six. Well, <laughs> si- well, Marilyn Monroe, so six years of a lot of living. That's true. In that's her true. case. And she had a hard childhood too. She did. She really did. She really yeah. did. And, and of course, there's a lot of controversy around her death. Some people think it was just a tragic overdose. Uh, many people think it was a suicide, an intentional overdose. Other people think it was uh, that she was murdered and it was made to look like an overdose to either avoid a scandal because of her relationship to possibly With to fill in the blank. John Kennedy or Frank Sinatra or fucking who knows. Robert is and, my belief. And, it's more uh, of Bobby Kennedy connection. Well, right, that was right, the problem, right. Yeah. So all that. Well, what's interesting about that and something you may not know is the circumstances of her death and her connection to the Bramford. Um, Dakota or the Bramford? Uh, excuse me, Dakota. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Is See, this in the movie? It. No, the Bramford is fictional, but the Dakota is okay. definitely the, the basis for the oh, Bramford. Did I miss that part? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I did. Mm. And thank you. Thank God you're on point. <laughs> <laughs> Marty almost done with my mule. Well, Sorry. Well, clink. Clink. Um, so another person who had a similar death was no less than the composer Tchaikovsky. Oh. Now, Tchaikovsky, one of the most well-known composers in the world, even in his own time, mm-hmm was 
just about to move in to the Dakota. He was he was transplanting from I had planned to transplant from Russia and to move into the Dakota. He had just been on this long several years list of uh, and he finally got approval and he died right within a week of being given the green light to move in. Oh wow. And he died in a way that still is surrounded with controversy, which I want to talk about briefly. As I realize that this in no way is possible, but I'm still going to blame Putin. Well, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless... Well, maybe Putin's immortal. I don't know. I don't want to give him that kind of power. Well, if you connect but, Tchaikovsky to the Romanovs, and there is a Romanov-Tchaikovsky yeah. connection, and the Romanovs had their connection with Rasputin, and Rasputin was partially responsible for their downfall. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it for a moment, historically, if the... We're going on a fucking rabbit hole here, so just bear with me, everyone. But if the Romanovs had not been assassinated by the Bolshevik uprising, and rather had just been deposed, and after the war, after World War I was over, Russia more than likely would have just reconfigured itself into a... uh, Monarchy. a constitutional monarchy similar hmm. to what Britain did, the Romanovs would have lived. Soviet Union, there, w- there would have been no Lenin, there would have been no Stalin, there would have been no Soviet Union. Ergo, there would have been no, when the fall of the Soviet Union happened, there would have been no oligarchy, uh, oligarchs coming to power, basically snatching up all the u- uh, utility companies from the state for rock-bottom pro- prices and then themselves making killing. There'd be no Putin, there'd be no now. Right. So, whatever. I'm not, I'm not blaming it on Tchaikovsky, by the way. He was completely unrelated. But, but... Tchaikovsky was killed a, by Putin. That's what you just said. That's what I was trying <laughs> he, to say. He may have been. He may have been killed by a secret cabal that were trying to protect the Romanovs from scandal because Tchaikovsky reportedly had a, an affair with the nephew of a count who was oh. one of the beneficiaries of the Romanov line. Now. There, we do know that Tchaikovsky was a closeted homosexual, and that he did have well, affairs. Well, of course with he was. Who men. wasn't then? It, he did. He died of cholera, and not the, everyone can be Oscar Wilde, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, around this all happened kind of around the I same, know, yeah. you know, era, the same decade. So Tchaikovsky had this. You know, some people think he caught cholera from a male prostitute um, because it was very uh, cholera was associated with poverty. Uh, mm-hmm. Lack of uh, hygiene, uh, hygiene, and and of clean water and things like that, and so the upper class in, in Tchaikovsky's case, the real upper class, never got it. So the fact that he died of cholera always struck some of his friends as being rather ridiculous, right. which is probably snobbery on their part. But his friend Remzi Korsakov, another famous composer, was like, "I don't think he died of cholera because they did not follow cholera protocol, which was extremely strict, even when the occasional rich person got oh, it, because it was a very highly." communicable disease and none of that happened he was allowed to kind of live life in his apartments you know whatever not he again he never came to the dakota all this happened after he'd gotten approval within a week of getting approval to dakota and there's since some question of like did he kill himself did he just die of cholera naturally did he get it from a prostitute was it because of his supposed affair with this count's nephew and and the secret cabal some people some reports very dramatically say that this cabal surrounded him like we can kill you now or you can take your own life here's a glass of cholera tainted water have at it and he chose because he was already. Oh my gosh, he's the Russian Marilyn Monroe. Right, and so that was Tchaikovsky, and that was, and all he didn't even get to live in the Dakota. He just got approved. <laughs> you feel so bad for him. You didn't even get it. So I know, it and it was so like, close. It just—it's interesting to think of Tchaik- if Tchaikovsky had made it to America and lived in New York. I feel like even though the time was still pretty buttoned down. 
compared to czarist Russia, I think yeah. Tchaikovsky may have been able to explore his illicit desires compared for men. Compared to anything Russia. A little, well, yes. Modern day Russia. Probably, he might have fared a little better and might have stayed with us a little longer. He wrote... Famously, his Sixth Symphony is thought by many to be his musical suicide note because it's a very dark work and oh, he really? died before it premiered. And it's, oh. it's, a, it's a depressing, it's unusual for the time. He wrote it and structured it in such a way so that you don't walk away from that last movement feeling, ah, you know, bolstered and ready to go into battle. You feel it's sad. It's, a, it's an uncommonly sad final movement in a symphony, which before Tchaikovsky okay. was just not considered appropriate you had it it was typical to have a sad sort of melancholy middle movement but the last movement always had to be rousing and and triumphant um, but his wasn't. His was not. Oh, his was wow. decidedly like no. Poor Tchaikovsky. I know, right? So anyway, so so uh, I mentioned. I'm Judy. sure he would love knowing that <laughs> now there's a podcast where we're talking baby talk about how sad it makes us. That anyway. I feel like Tchaikovsky would have been into me. He probably would have been. And I would have been into him. Oh, man. He would have been a good daddy. Anyways. <laughs> Shout out to all of our all of our homosexual listeners in any country that is trying to keep you down, which is probably every country, but specifically (sighs) ones like Russia and Mm -hmm. the Middle East and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we love you, we adore you, and we wish we could fix it. We wish we could. Mm. And I anything Mm. else is gonna sound trivial, so I don't wanna like But just know that we're on your side. We're on your side. Oh, well, so let's talk about the ghosts. So, um, <laughs> so, okay, we'll start. The, On that the, note. The ghost stories started ghosts. really getting, started getting a lot of currency in the 60s. And this was around the time. So in 1965, Judy Holloway, uh, Marilyn Monroe's friend, who herself mm-hmm. was a Tony Award winning stage and film actress, did a lot of stuff. Uh, she died of breast cancer. She was living at the at the Dakota at the time, and she died of breast cancer in 1965. A couple named the Smiths uh, rented like her apartment. Like the Smiths? <laughs> First, when I read that, I was like, no fucking way they let a British rock band just <laughs> live. Into- like, there's no way Melanie Griffith did not get in and the Smiths did. There's just no fucking way. Right. But no, They I- changed <laughs> not a thing, which is surprising. <laughs> but Mr. and Mrs. Smith, um, which in my mind, it's just like, makes me think of... You know, Anna, uh, what was it, Brangelina? Oh, right, yeah. But this wasn't them, this was the 60s. So uh, they they got the place afterwards, and they, they hired construction workers to uh, basically just come in and refurbish some of the, to re-varnish the wood and do a little painting and just things like that. Just to pee on it a little, make it theirs. Uh, <laughs> make it theirs. And of course, this is what always happens when you do the kind of shit. Uh, a lot of weird shit started happening just in that apartment um there was the construction workers often saw a young man in turn-of-the-century clothes specifically what are called buster browns they're this weird like if you look that up it's a weird kind of short pants and the hat everything it's a weird look but it's very dated Mm -hmm. and um they saw this young man just wandering around he'd disappear he wouldn't talk to anyone they also saw a little girl in similar turn-of-the-century attire but she would interact with them she would acknowledge them she would smile to one tenant she even said today's my birthday and then chased her little red ball into a closet where she disappeared no yep was it with ghost children and their balls running into balls <laughs> balls and walls um, and no thank you so not long so one one painter saw the little girl and not long after that uh, fell down a stairwell to his death. Oh. Now, some people think it was a little girl's ghost. I don't think that's fair. I think he just fell down. 
<laughs> I mean, he could have been startled, but that wasn't her intent. Could have been. Now, there was another Maybe. crew member who was painting the interior of a walk-in closet. And I think this was the same walk-in closet that the little girl had disappeared into. And uh, he... What did, let's see, the door slammed shut on him and the light switched off while he was up on the ladder painting the ceiling. And so he, he kind of gropes his way down the ladder, this guy going, what the fuck is going on? The door will not open. But when he tries, when he uh, uh, switches on the light again, something grabbed, something unseen grabbed his arm and pinned it near the bulb, oddly, just an odd detail. There's a few odd stories here that strike me as true because they include details that most people wouldn't try to pass They're off. They're so as weird, true. yeah. You know, and just the weird things and the fact that this guy. So that was one thing. So another ghost who supposedly haunts the place is this guy named Joel uh, Melzner, who was the most famous like Golden Age Broadway set designer. He was yeah, the I guy. Like, I feel like I know Melzner. Right, I know. And he that. he lived at the Bramford, and sadly, the Bramford? He, sorry, the Dakota. I keep saying the Bramford. <laughs> I know. He li- we'll just call it the Bramford from now on. <laughs> they probably don't want us to know where they live anyway. It's the Dakota, you guys. It's West Central Park. So. He lived at the Dakota, and he died in 1976 in a cab right outside the building on his way home from a doctor's appointment, which apparently the doctor wasn't very good. Missed it. Uh, and uh, apparently he died really pissed off. And oh. his ghost is thought to, like, there in the weeks after his death... Um, staff and workers on and in the Dakota, there was a lot of ex- a lot of shit going on in the basement. A porter working there. This was a couple weeks after Melzener died, and a porter working there had this weird fucking experience and like came running up because he just knew the guy. He uh, there was a, a famous financier. Uh, what was his name? Wilbur Ross, who lived at the. Oh, Dakota I'm so glad you came up with that name because otherwise, it sounds. Like I would have known which one you were talking about. <laughs> Not Seeger Ross, the band. <laughs> <laughs> But Wilbur Ross, a very famous, very, very wealthy financier. Well, this story is notable because this guy was well-known at the time. And this is the late 70s. This porter came up to him and said, there's shit going on in the basement. You've got to come see this. Apparently, stuff had been strewn all over the goddamn place. Uh, Like trash bags, storage boxes, everything. Just a complete chaos. A fucking hurricane had come through this basement. And the porter's like, I'd been down there. And I saw this shovel come flying off the wall where it was affixed. Uh, and came within inches of braining me. And so he brought his, you know, buddy, <laughs> Ross, down there. And Ross was like, you did this. Like, right. fuck you. Clean but no sooner up. did Ross say this, that this piece of metal rebar, out of nowhere, came flying through the room and almost brained him. Yeah. Uh, so that was weird. And the fact that Wil- Wilbur Ross, who didn't believe in any of this shit after that, he was like, nah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so, there was that time with the rebar, but... There was that time with the rebar, but I mean, I saw the trash and stuff, and that, this would happen. So so uh, not long after this, like within the same time period, this uh, the residents started calling... There was so much shit going on in the building, and weird things, weird things, that residents started calling it kind of ch- tongue-in-cheek. They called it the Phantom of the Dakota. They were like, is this unseen force that keeps fucking shit up? One of the things this, this Phantom would do was just completely gouge the inside of the elevators that had recently been redone and they not cool phantom of the dakota well they had been redone with a kind of in a style that melsoner himself a set designer fucking famously hated oh really disgusted (gasps) by it and made a big to do when they changed it right well now possibly his ghost was going in there like they'd find rip it up also 
residents began finding on the upper floors in the corners of the main corridors, like out in front of everyone's apartment doors, they found scraps of paper, newspaper, uh, bits and pieces, flammable shit, piled into little nests as though someone were going to light it on fire. And uh, it's basically, it looked like arson was afoot. Right. right. And again, no fire has yet, knock on wood, to happen there, but it looked like someone was planning on making one. And so all the residents went through this phase because of the quote-unquote phantom. They were like, who the fuck is doing this? Yeah. It's one of you. So they all started to suspect each other, and they all started keeping a very close watch on each other. They started looking at other buildings. They formed this weird little um, detective squad among like some oh of the God, residents. I love friends. it. Rich nerd alert. It was so great. They started, like, spying on other buildings. And, <laughs> and and finally, it culminated when they finally realized there's no, it can't be anybody. It's got to be some kind of ghost or something. Uh, because a paint can flew off the top of the building into the courtyard, nearly killing someone. Uh, it came within inches. Just like the shovel and the piece of rebar, it, it came within inches of killing someone in the courtyard. And there was nowhere for it to have come from. Oh, wow. None. This spirit is either a really good shot or a really terrible one. There's no in between. So this is <laughs> not for me. So some people believe that that was the ghost of Joel uh, of Joe Melziner, who mm-hmm. just didn't like the design, the direction the interior decorators had gone. <laughs> Others think it might have been Clark himself, Edward Cabot Clark, the original commission, the, the original mm-hmm. owner of the building. Singer dude. Singer dude. And that goes back to in the, in the 1930s, uh, there was an electrician kind of improbably named John Painter. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I feel like he defied his name by becoming an electrician. Right. He's like, um, not me. He's like P-A-Y-N-T-E-R. So yeah. it might be Painter or Painter or something no, like that. No, it was Painter. But Painter, John Painter. He had... He was working in the ba- again the basement. He was uh, he was uh, checking fuses in the basement one evening or one afternoon, excuse me, in the 1930s. And, and this is the, one of the weirdest ghost story, ghost experiences, like ap- full bodied apparitions I've ever heard of. <gasps> this this um, this short, bald uh, dude in wire rim glasses and in a fucking awful toupee like a like apparently it this toupee could not have been phonier if it had a chin strap (laughs) (laughs) wow came out of the shadows and just stood and stared at john painter just for minutes on end just glaring at him with this angry fucking look and (laughs) painter's like uh hello can i help you guy didn't say anything did painter have a full head of hair I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> in a weird thing, like, but here, and this is people are like, oh, that's the ghost. That sounds like, if you look at pictures, that sounds like Edward, Ca- uh, Edward, uh, 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 the guy. The singer vo- guy. Singer guy. Uh, Clark, Edward Clark. <laughs> I was like, you know, the guy. I yeah. did all the history on his we, name. I just can't remember. I believe the entire audience is with me when we call him singer guy. <laughs> well, he didn't say anything. Um, he didn't say anything, but he... The ghost wrenched off his terrible wig and shook it furiously in John Painter's face and then just fucking vanished. Right? It's so weird. That is so it's crazy. It's so unbelievable because who would try to make, who would try Shook to pass his... that off? And that's, I bet happened. it was hair. I bet he had a great head of hair. Well, Either so that John or he had Painter, a really great and, piece. Well, John Painter worked there for a number of years in the, in the, like the decade or more that he was, he was the, the staff electrician. He had the same experience in that basement three more times <gasps> where the ghost, presumably of Edward Cabot Clark, would come to him and shake his wig at him. Which I was like, what is that about? Is that, 
Oh my god, I want to believe that it's it's residual, and it's just every time this guy would get really mad, he couldn't <laughs> he control. He just take off, his, and be like, no, wake his leg no. off, and shake it at That's somebody. That's not how you check a fuse. <laughs> it's a weird thing to get mad. Traffic at. was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want it. I want it to be that so bad. I just, I love that image. So, on the third floor, this is another kind of interesting story. On the third floor of the building, uh, a couple named Fred and Susan Weinstein moved in uh, sometime in the 70s, and they habitually had weird things happen in their dining room, specifically centering in the dining room for some reason. Now, I think this was like an eight or nine room apartment in the dining room. These apartments are gorgeous. If you go online and look at interiors, if you can find pictures of interiors, it's usually because someone's done like a spread on right. Lord Bacall's apartment or Rosemary's Clooney. Rosemary Clooney's apartment, whatever. Um, these places are just, I mean, they're just gorgeous. And they had shit happen in their dining room. Uh, Fred, Frederick, he preferred to be called, but he, they would hear disembodied footsteps pacing Ooh. frantically in the dining room at all hours of the day and night. Anxious um, ghost. Fred couldn't fucking go into the dining room without somehow injuring himself. <laughs> Every fucking time he'd go in there, and I know it makes him kind of sound like your, fa- your father, right. <laughs> but things would happen to him. He wouldn't trip, like uh, chairs would pull out in front of him oh. uh, from the dining room table and like, uh, you know, or like every time he went to whatever. sit, every time he went to sit in a chair, it would pull out from behind That's him. That's exactly and would just- what happened. <laughs> Yes, uh, and things would fly off the table at him. I mean, all kinds of weird shit. I really enjoy these and, ghosts. And it, what, they're I really like what they're just about. So mean. They're just, they're just mean. They were mean, rich people in life, and now, now in they're death, just, they're gonna now like oh, they're just mad at these people because these people are like the nouveau riche and like oh, you're fucking you're, bougie. You and don't know what money is. If this was in a like a in in a in an apartment uh, or whatever that didn't have rich people living in it, I'd be like, well, that's not very nice. But be- I think because it's, it's happening rich to rich people, like, I'm like, this yeah, is fun. This I is like hysterical. it. I Let's do, do like it. <laughs> I feel like it kind of takes our us back to Jacob people. Marley. Maybe these are ghosts going like, motherfucker, just just stop. stop. Get out of your head. You're, you're rich. You're not better than us. Okay, fuck you. Boom, boom, boom. Like, this can happen to you. Like, I don't know. Ghosts, they're kind of the ultimate, like, equalizer, maybe. Right. We all become ghosts, maybe, yeah. potentially. So Fred, uh, at one point in the dining room, literally had the rug pulled out from under him, and it nearly gave him a concussion. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, like, he stayed Brilliant. the fuck out of his living room. One night, he was coming home, and because they lived on the third floor, uh, the dining room window, he could see from the street. And he noticed, he was coming home late from work, <laughs> he noticed this. his wife, apparently, while he was out, had bought and installed this classic, gorgeous crystal chandelier that was shining for all the world to see in the window, as he mm-hmm. the, visible from the street. And he thought, huh. I wonder okay. how that much cost. How much <laughs> probably, that cost Probably me. what is thinking, because yeah. she, she had said nothing. So he goes up, and, and uh, apparently other people had seen it. On the street, the, the doorman was like, oh, yeah, nice, you know, nice chandelier and all that. He goes up, unlocks it. His wife's asleep. There's no fucking chandelier. Oh, my. No chandelier. That's fucking weird. What right. a weird ghost thing to do. There was another time. Uh... <laughs> it makes you wonder where that comes from. We're seeing an object that time had slip. been there before. Time slip. Time yeah, slip. it was a time slip. Yeah, I don't know. So, so, uh... Fred and his kids were goofing around with, like, this Ouija-style game for shits and giggles one night. And it's it wasn't quite... Uh, it was like they had these little tiles in it. So, like, uh, almost like Scrabble, but for spirits, right? And 
uh, they played one night and they just kind of went about their business and then nothing really interesting happened. Though, though apparently the tiles told them that they were in contact with the ghost of a little girl, maybe the same girl with the red ball that other mm, tenants had seen the over wall. the years, runs into the closet, the wall with, uh, you know, and so whatever. Well, um, when Fred was putting all the pieces away and to put the, the everything back on a shelf, uh, he just, you know, whatever, didn't think anything about it. But later he found, uh, couple of word tiles in the pocket of his suit as he was getting ready to go to work Ooh. and the tiles um <laughs> oh no so there were two in his uh suit coat pocket and there was another in his eyeglasses case oh. all together the tiles were i the letter c and the letter u Ooh. <laughs> That's weird, good. Right? So the last thing I'll talk about is, is of course, John Lennon's murder, okay. which the building is most notorious for. Yes. So John uh, Lennon, I should say Lennon John, like he's like anybody, like oh, our, our buddy John. I mean, what's uh, he, he going to do? Tell people the truth? Well, wait till you tell the truth. <laughs> um, just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. You got me good. <laughs> well, so so Lennon lived there with his wife, Yoko Ono, whose name it's hard for me to say without cringing, because uh, she's a cringe-worthy worthy person. I don't know. I usually I don't, don't like to talk about person, people that are still living. So she's can't. such an opportunist. She strikes, I should, it's, in all fairness, she strikes me as an opportunist and is, is just absolutely concerned like i i don't know i don't know she's she's I supposedly like... broke up the beatles because no one liked her and john was no saint let's be real like he was right. no saint but but had she's just a weird and her performance art is the fucking worst that's what i'm not i'm not as, as much of a fan of her art but i feel like saying she i don't like the whole because it's the same thing it's vilifying a woman because these dudes couldn't keep their shit together so it mm, couldn't possibly mm, mm. be the men are immature artists who don't know how to treat yeah, each other that's fair. it's got to be the woman's fault and at the time especially an asian woman oh of course it's her oh, fault yeah. I, you know, can't trust them you, you, you make yeah. a point you got you make a point but i will say it doesn't mean that she isn't an awful person that's right yeah i'm not defending <laughs> it means her the as a beatles person. were fucking kids and they didn't know what they were doing and they were probably just tired of each other and all that and right. yoga was a good excuse but man it was what my she, mom called too much togetherness she definitely rode she was famous because of who she married and mm-hmm. she has been riding that for the rest of her fucking life and and you know bitch gotta do what bitch gotta I do i mean why not but man Oof. She suffered a lot for that too, you know. So. She did, she did. But but to be fair, she also really seemed to welcome it. She loved the criticism. She loved the publicity of any kind. She seemed to be I, again. I I should wait till she's dead so I can talk shit about her as a ghost. Right, because what if she's listening to this and now her feelings are hurt? And I am sorry, Yoko Ono. I'm I'm sorry too. You may be a lovely lady. I think that you know. I should be nicer. We don't know. I'm not nice. So, but the story, so Lennon, so. Just don't listen after you die. Um, Love you. So, this was on October 8th, <laughs> 1980. And that day, both Lennon and Yoko had gone to uh, Record Plant Studios uptown. Uh, they were taken there by a limo to record the, the single Walking on Ice, or Walking on Thin Ice, excuse me. Now, 
earlier that day, famed New York photographer Annie Leibovitz had been yes. there to take a famous photo shoot of them, and Lennon kind of insisted on including Yoko. Leibovitz was like, eh, no one cares about her, so it should just be you, but Lennon refused to do it unless he could include Yoko in it, and some of the most iconic photos of the two of them together come from that session, and this was hours before he died. Oh, hours I didn't before realize that. Right, right, right. The picture of them on the rug together, uh, naked. Yes. Uh, that comes from the Leibovitz My friend session, recreated that with just, her husband. This was hours before he was killed oh hours what i didn't real yeah 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 so uh so lennon um he also did his last interview that day with a, it was a softball piece for RKO with a San Francisco radio personality, a guy named DJ Dave uh, Sholin. And he kind of was with them in the limo to kind of do the interview there. The limo picked them up. When they were on the way out to the limo, Chapman came up to him. This was like five o'clock in the afternoon and wanted him to sign his uh, this album, Double Fantasy, which had just come out that uh, earlier that month, I think it was, right, or, yeah. or in October, excuse me, October. Uh, and uh, so Lennon, of course, obliged him with a signature, as he tended to, to always do. Fans had been waiting for a long time. A staff photographer that was with him, a guy named Paul Gorish, uh, photographed this encounter. Mm-hmm. This is five o'clock. This is, again, like, this is not when Chapman killed him. No. This would be later. Yeah. So he went to the studio. He and Yoko recorded Walking on Thin Ice at uh, Record Plant Studios. By then, it was late in the evening, uh, they all wanted to go out and party a little bit, but Lennon wanted to stop by home first to, to uh, tell their five-year-old son, Sean, goodnight, and, right. which is nice. But by then it's like... Then he had to poop. <laughs> he might have. It was getting on about 11 o'clock then, so what the fuck is Sean still doing up? But whatever. That's what I'm saying. I bet um, he had to poop. I bet he was like, you guys, I want to go, but first things first. <laughs> back probably, so, they, so they grabbed the, the, rock, the record plant <laughs> <laughs> limo. You think you just poop in the limo. You know that limo probably. No, I just I'm like, oh, I just said this on the podcast. Sure, yeah, like (laughs) these are these are this is these are my conversations. uh, Betty had to poop. Well, so the the limo (laughs) took them back uh, so we could stop by uh, and say goodnight to his son. And as he got out of the car, now uh, the doorman and a taxi driver that was kind of across the street uh, at the curb, both of them saw Chapman kind of wandering or kind of lurking in the shadows Mm -hmm. of the archway of the Dakota. And as Lennon passed by, he acknowledged him as though he remembered him from earlier in the day and just kind of kept on going. And then that's when Chapman came out with his gun and shot him Mm -hmm. five times in the back, point blank, killed him. And uh, which is, he was about 10 feet away. And that's that's sad, so fucking sad. And that was mm-hmm, on um, yeah. that was December eighth, the night of December eighth, nineteen eighty. Now, since then, uh, Yoko Ono, who continued to live there for decades, in fact, she may still live there. Uh, I'm not really sure. It's hard to find out who still lives there because their their records are so off right. the books. But uh, they're private. She claimed to, to see him frequently there. In right. fact, one time she said she saw him actually sitting at his iconic white piano in their apartment. Uh, and he told her, you know, don't don't be afraid. I'm still here with you. And, you know, so that was a thing. And a lot of people write that off as, you know, whatever. It's important to note, though, that in his life, John Lennon frequently saw ghosts while living at the Dakota. Hmm. He saw both the little girl, mm-hmm. the kid in the Buster Brown outfit, and he saw someone called the Weeping Lady. Uh, is which she is, white? Is she is, more white? Uh, it's not. It's probably. We'll say she's Yeah, she's, she's a white. bunch of white. Why not? But a lot of people thought that was uh, the, the the Weeping Lady who Lennon saw several times and was really, really troubled by. He would just see her in the hallway, sitting in a corner, looking out a window, crying. 
And he would tell Yoko or other people about it. And be like, what is that about? And people would tell him, oh, we see her sometimes. That's thought to be the ghost of a woman named Elise who lived there for a long time. She was a building manager for decades, between the 30s and 50s. And her son um, was killed in a car accident right outside the building. And after Aww. that, her, her changed her life. She then became really protective of children after that, to a point where it kind of annoyed everyone. But that's thought to be her ghost. And Lennon saw her and the little oh. girl. So in the movie... In the movie, uh, her spirit prevents any other child spirit from leaving. And that's why we have the little girl with a ball. Oh. That's the movie, though. That's just the movie. I love your movie version. Thank you. Well, so Lennon himself <laughs> saw that. And so then, of course, Lennon's ghost is now, you know, said to be there, too. Because, and Yoko Ono, well, you know, who knows if she really saw him or not. Or if it may have a dream or whatever. But she's not the only person to have seen him. Uh, well, and we can't write off the fucking wife. She's the wife. Of I think the wife is seen. easiest to write yeah. off because the wife is bereft. And well, it's no, I it, feel you know? like, like if, you, you're going to have dreams. You're going to have, you know, even grief may cause you to have hallucinations. I mean, I feel that also, way. Also, but if he's going to show up to anyone, true. why would it be rando dude in the hallway when it could be his I'm just like, saying, like, Houdini what? didn't show up to his wife and he told her he would. Yeah, but. but that's a whole other story. Anyway, but who, who knows? Who knows? Uh, but it's a well-known story. I'm just going to so say that maybe Houdini isn't. The end all be all. Maybe Houdini didn't have the talents it takes to be a successful mm-hmm. ghost. Right? Just because he yeah. was a good stage musician and maybe. Artist doesn't mean he could escape. Maybe Houdini the has not. Bonds of Earth. Maybe he has not accepted that he's actually dead. So how could he show up if he doesn't even know he doesn't? Do you know that every year on Halloween, his wife was told and, and observed this for yeah. years, she would have a seance trying I to get him And never, yeah. I'm something like 15, 20 years yeah. afterwards, uh, continued to have a seance every Halloween to try to contact Houdini and never made contact. But again, yeah. who knows? I think perhaps being a ghost requires some sort of innate ability, like athletic ability or speed reading or something like that. Like maybe. <laughs> Speed reading? Some people are able to read really fast for I love that that's just what you threw out there. (laughs) Speed reading. I needed needed something other than athleticism because I don't possess any of that. (laughs) But I can read really fast. But I can read really fast. (laughs) 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 But I mean, it's it's possible that... I can organize pantries. The possibility, the ability to (laughs) manifest a living if you're a dead requires a certain innate ability that not everyone has. Right. Um, I I don't know. We have no idea. But it could be why certain people see it. Maybe you have to have a certain connection to that person for them to make it easier. I mean, who knows? It could be like a phone call. If it's a good line, bad line, depends on a lot of factors that are out of our control. But all we know is that apparently John Lennon can do it. And well, and he did out. it to Yoko Ono, and in 1983, he appeared to John Harrow, a musician. <gasps> maybe it's because, sorry, maybe it's because <laughs> Houdini spent his life lying to people with his tricks and his magic, right? Well, he spent his life, hold on, and he, was all, well, okay. he, he didn't lie to people, he told but, them I mean, it was tricks. But I, mean, but I mean, not a charlatan, but you know what I'm saying, like his existence was presenting not the truth. That's true. Whereas well, John Lennon's was presenting the truth. Imagine. Right. Maybe. So maybe it's just the way they approach. But I do have to insert here that, if, yeah. to be fair, Houdini also was a huge debunker of supernatural right. flim-flam in his life. And I think, I don't know if he felt obligated to be that because of his reputation yeah. as a magician, but he was like, no, no, this for entertainment purposes, anyone that's trying to tell you that's real, fuck them, and he was doggedly... It's because he tried to contact his mother. 
I think it's his mother after she passed away and he couldn't and he was like this oh he caught someone cheating he caught someone yeah, and cheating people did and cheat back then because yeah. it was like any any and it doesn't mean that all spiritual mediums were fake it just means that you know whenever that became a popular thing there's going to be charlatans mm-hmm. that come on board because they see it as a way to make a quick buck and they were right. like well fuck you're going to actually do the real thing I can do the like whatever thanks yeah, for making like, it a thing for me but I'm just going to use string and you know cheesecloth yeah, and it's get the like same the peop- results you know, I'm just working smart if you're <laughs> it's like if you're going to you know like teach voice acting lessons like everybody does it now and, oh god you know maybe not everybody That's knows how <laughs> but anyway, anyway so <laughs> but also say that the john lennon's ghost uh being still at the dakota does have a little more veracity because it doesn't it's not just reported by yoko ono it's also reported by a musician named john harrow who was a friend of lennon's and in 1983 passing by joey harrow excuse me in 1983 they were passing by and they saw uh, and he was with a writer named amanda moore's uh, also who knew Lennon in life, and they saw him standing, three, four years after his death, they saw him standing in the archway of the code in broad daylight. And they were like, what the fuck? But uh, Amanda Mores, the writer who was with Joey Harrow at the time, was like, we should say something to him, because yeah. that's clearly our friend. But he had this weird, ominous light all his own to him. And something about his expression like he looked at them and something about his expression told her do not talk to him mm. just this ain't the time this ain't the place I am in no whatever. mood and so they neglected to speak to him and they moved on he did not look happy and that wow in a nutshell is the dakota that's amazing i want to live there. i've never heard about it mm-hmm. i don't want to live there they sound like assholes well, some of them. If there's anyone from the Dakota assholes. listening, I'm so sorry. I don't know you. Lauren McCall lived there. She was amazing. Probably. She was amazing. Don't okay, take she, that away from me. Yes, she was, she was amazing. amazing, Michael. <laughs> she was amazing. Well, thank you. Hey, that, that Wilbur Ross guy seemed nice enough that the porter felt comfortable coming to him and explaining what had just happened. That's true. Is, You're right. So, you know, not, everyone, right. not every rich this person is, is an athlete. A lot of them are, but right. not every rich and, person. You know, it's not fair because right now we have some very wealthy people who uh, are really, uh, you know, being shitty to, uh, like, the entire world. So, well, and I will say that because of how many years of tax returns you have to even turn in to get an appointment it's certain people will never get in right (laughs) and that's fun um okay so before i get mine i wanted to tell you i don't know if you saw this but we got a tweet from in a response to the disneyland and disney world yeah um story that yeah, i did episode which was 13. fucking awesome by the way yeah it's easy to remember it's episode 13 so <laughs> um so anyway i wanted there was a series of tweets that she sent she used to work oh. at disneyland or disney oh. world and so uh this is a lisette who uh tweeted us and i asked her if we could share it because it was fascinating to me this is her little twitter thread because I thought everybody would like to know a little information from the inside. Kind of like the Scriven Hotel, the guy who worked at the hotel. Yeah. My 30-minute commute to work turned into an hour today per usual. Hashtag LA traffic. You can imagine my excitement when, halfway through the episode of Ghoul Intent, they started talking about ghosts at Disney. I've got to say, this episode of Ghoul Intent, 13 Out of Focus, has been one of my absolute favorites so far. How fun to listen to other people talking about the places I've worked and the crazy shit that goes down. (laughs) As a current slash past cast member of both parks, I have heard a number of stories involving tragic deaths and rumors haunting... and rumored hauntings throughout, including places like the Haunted Mansion 
and pirates, as mentioned, to even some you would never expect. Just ask a Sam at Winnie the Pooh about the old lady that's been seen and heard after hours, or the supposed cast member at Astro Orbiter who refused to work certain locations of the ride because he would see spirits lingering about. Although a lot of the times the stories I've heard sound like complete bullshit, I still refuse to this day to transfer over to Haunted Mansion after hearing so many stories about the little ghost boy in Doom Buggies. Basically, 99% of the cast members who've worked at Mansion at Walt Disney World can tell you about the little ghost boy they know as Timmy. He's been seen on the ride by cast members during closing or even just wandering the hallways when no guests are around. That's the luckiest child ghost ever. Ever. He gets to hang out in the fucking haunted mansion. Even one of my dearest friends of 10 years told me stories of seeing him and hearing sounds of little footsteps when she was walking the turnbelt late at night, seemingly alone. After all this time, though, we all know Timmy is supposed to be sweet, happy, and just looking for friends to play with in his afterlife. I still refuse to go on the ride at night when there are no other guests around. Hashtag nope. Fun fact, by the way. yes. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Hashtag kitties and doom buggies. (laughs) Fun fact, by the way, since Jamie had mentioned the absolutely bizarre fact of people having the grand idea to spread ashes on rides, while the Haunted Mansion is well known for going non-operational, quotes, to clean up ashes, I have also heard stories of guests doing the same things the same thing in other locations, including, surprise, surprise, Pirates of the Caribbean and Tower of Terror. Once oh. while I was wor- I know. Once while I was working, in fact, we got word about a very special ride going down for ashes. I still laugh thinking about the family who thought it was a brilliant idea to curse some poor soul to an endless loop of it's a small world in their afterlife. <laughs> it was an, was an <laughs> unlike it was an unliked family member. Horrible. Yeah, right. We hate this <laughs> like, person. Yeah, Uncle Roger world. was such a dick. Yeah, let's do it. Also, as <laughs> As Marky Mark said, Mark, Marky Mark's my Twitter handle. <laughs> cast, is that like Marky Mark's ja- As too? Jamie said, cast members <laughs> who work these locations actually have to be trained on how to properly clean up the mess. But wait, there's more. Like with all safety or custodial concerns, cast members are taught certain radio codes or signals to use so as to appear more courteous to our guests while on stage. For example, a code V would be used to request a vomit cleanup. <laughs> a code V code we have a code we have a code V right Ooh, I'm gonna start saying that whenever I feel sick we're about to have a code V <laughs> the spreading of ashes within the haunted mansion and other attractions has become so commonplace in fact it's now known as code grandma <laughs> that's what she said lol thank you so much jamie and michael for making my drive so much more fun with your ch- chilling tales and exciting Ooh, hysteria lessons thank you what was what so was good lisette lisette yes Lissette. thank you Lissette. thank you so that's much fucking awesome and thank you for now letting every us time i hear now i'm gonna say come that. up with all sorts of code we're like code d must be when they have a flasher because <laughs> it's always a dude it's always it's a always dude. a dude yeah <laughs> it's always a dude like is my dick that's big why enough? They could, that's, that's why code v can be vomit yeah because like code v is not gonna like, it's never gonna be vagina code d we got code what other codes would they have i don't know i've been on a plane before where they went code red which oh. freaked the shit out of me because the first they just say we have a code red we have a code red and you're like oh is that me wrong gonna die it means that someone has a medical emergency on board oh. is there a doctor have you ever been on a plane where somebody died uh, not that I know they of. They usually keep it 
quiet. Uh, but I've been on a plane a couple times where someone's had uh, a medical issue that they may have died they from, but they didn't die on the plane. Like yeah. I, I'd some, I was one, I was one uh, a couple years ago, maybe a year ago, where someone had a seizure, a full on like like grand mal seizure, oh, in the wow. back of the plane waiting for the bathroom, like in, near the, the the galleys, and they had to. We were about about thirty minutes from landing. And the guy went into a grand mal seizure. They went code red and looked for a doctor. There was a doctor on board, so he went back, and that was nice. But the pilot came on and were like, yeah, I'm told there's a customer, there's a passenger that needs to be taken to the hospital immediately. So um, normally it'd take me about 20, 30 minutes to land this plane where we're going, but strap in, we're going to land in about 10. And oh, we no. landed that fucking plane. I mean, that was the most harrowing. It was kind of fun because, I mean, like, we, we came in fucking practically vertical. It was just like, I mean... It was insane. He was like, right. everyone just, you know. Then, like, four other people had seizures <laughs> from yeah, landing yeah, so fast. Yeah. And I'm Whoopsie. like, wait a minute. You can land this fast and it still we you never choose knew. to go slower? Yeah, right? So, well, yeah. thank you, though. I appreciate it, for one. Okay. Okay, so what's your, what are you bringing to me? So my story is actually because we went and we got the girls a week ago. Uh, just over a week, just under a week ago for Christmas. And yeah. they live in Alabama, so we have to drive we usually drive about nine hours and pick them up in Meridian off I-20. <laughs> and then we track. come back. And then we usually stay somewhere on the way back. And normally it's in Jackson, but I wanted to go just a little bit farther to prevent us from having to drive another extra hour or so. Five or six hours home, make right. it easy. Right. And also, we almost always cross the Mississippi in the dark or within a couple of hours of us leaving and then they're asleep. So they never get to see the Mississippi. They're always uh. asleep. So I was like, you know what we could do is stop right on like at a, at Vicksburg. That's right there yeah. <laughs> on the Mississippi. And so I booked a hotel there and then we went and had breakfast at um, the mad baker and had breakfast and then we were going to just take kind of a scenic route around to get back to 20. Notice this huge cemetery. Huge cemetery. And they had never just gone to a cemetery before. So we drove in and looked and tried oh, to you find... Haven't, you haven't lived. I know. Until so you've, you've investigated death. <laughs> I was going to say, you haven't lived until you've been in a cemetery. And that is literally true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so, Yeah. So we went and we went in search of like the oldest tombstone, and that was you know. And I think my mother would be so proud. I know she would. She would. I thought about her. The soul. The creep. Okay, so I think the oldest tombstone was 1837. Okay. And the which isn't old for Europe, but that's old as hail. For it's pretty US. old, and considering this is like a Civil War battlefield, most of the it dead is. are going to be exactly. From the Civil War. Yes. Um, now, interestingly, in this cemetery, which I'll get into some of it, but something that got my attention that I actually texted you about was there were vultures in this cemetery. And they were sitting in the back of where, like, a lot of the Civil War soldiers were. Um, <laughs> I texted just, you back. I was like, they seem a little late. I know, right? It was so <laughs> creepy, though. It was just, and they had these old trees, and uh, wow. it was the picture you sent was yeah, like, like 
They, there are different Amazing. levels, so you'll drive and you'll be next to like a hill that's clearly been carved into, uh. but there are gravestones there, so you know like you're at head level with wherever those coffins are. Oh, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Really creepy. Just very uh. Neil Gaiman. The whole thing, I was oh, like, this makes yeah. me think of the graveyard book. Like everything is described that way, which is why I was like, we have to use Neil Gaiman. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was very, very Neil Gaiman. Um, so. The vultures really threw me off and we and we, you know, took a bunch of pictures in there. Lots of consorts buried there. So just either they just weren't getting married or perhaps they were not white women. Oh, yeah. So the the oldest grave I found, and this is in no way saying that this is the oldest grave that's there, but it was a child that had died in 19 in 1837. The mother died in 1840 and then a second child died in 1841. That's very common. So you just assume the mother died in childbirth and then the baby died about a year later. So probably like very frequently people take for granted how how seldom children. I mean, how seldom children survived. Right. Yeah. So. We pretty quickly uh, started going down the rabbit hole of Vicksburg because I kind of knew it, but I didn't really know it, know it. Yeah. And uh, it's haunted as fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, as fuck. Oh, oh, I can't wait. I've been there. Yeah. I've been there like a long time ago when I was 14. Uh, my parents okay. took a road trip and my mother, who's a genealogist, just wanted mm-hmm. to like go to all the major like, oh my battlefield God. She would have taken all the rubbings. She, All she did of the gravestone uh, while we were there and and found stuff so yeah it's a bit Vic, i've been to vicksburg gettysburg like all the major civil yeah, war battles this that cemetery was it's cedar let me see i wrote it cedar hill cemetery it's one of the oldest and largest cemeteries in the united states that's still in use today in fact in the newer part of the cemetery they had burials that day wow so we're in one side that's from the mid 1800s and then the other side, they're burying in the 2000s, right? Yeah, that's pretty rare. And family plots that are from the 1800s that they're still burying in. Wow. So it was just, it's it's crazy. A section of that cemetery was also set aside for Confederate soldiers who died of sickness or their wounds. Mm-hmm. So there's another cemetery within the, um, the monument, the Vicksburg Military Monument that's yeah. right there. Yeah. It's pretty much lays right next to it. Mm-hmm. But there's another cemetery within there where the, I think the Confederate fallen soldiers of, of the battles there mm-hmm. were buried. But this was, it's called Soldier's Rest, and it's where Confederate soldiers who had been wounded and died or got sick and died, they were sent there. So they're not just from Vicksburg, they're from other areas okay. sent there to be buried. Hmm. Some 5,000 soldiers are buried there. But only 1,600 of them have been identified. So that's, yeah. Some notable people. This is what got me started with the cemetery. But some notable people. David Carradine's grandfather. Hmm. Yeah. Random. (laughs) Yeah. David, uh, uh, so John Carradine's father. John Carradine was a famous Hammer horror movie actor. Yeah. And his father was a uh, religious scholar and author. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know he was buried. Yeah, and there are other people, like lots of people in the Confederacy and all of that kind of stuff. As you'd expect. As you'd expect. But also, uh, most interestingly to me, and Jack found it, and then we found it online, was Douglas the Camel. Who the fuck is Douglas the Camel? A domesticated camel that they used during the Civil War. (gasps) Oh! uh, The the (laughs) fucking... There's a Disney movie about that. Oh, really? There's a Disney live-action movie called Homps. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it's, it's Douglas. His name's Douglas. About, it was about the 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 the, the Civil War, like uh, uh, the Confederacy enlisting. Yeah, he had been. Weirdly, been given... it's not a popular movie right now because right, it, you know figure. it hadn't been for years because the Confederacy or the protagonists. <laughs> yeah, that's um, weird because they like, lost. Well, they, it talked about like how they brought camels in because yeah. camels were such good pack animals. Yes. Yeah. Well, and wow. Yeah, I talked to my mom about it, too, and she said, oh, yeah, there were several, like, a lot of camels that were brought in in that time because they could, especially when you were traveling across, you know, the United States, they could go for a long time without water so you didn't have to worry about them as Mm -hmm, much as you had mm -hmm. to worry about horses. But then, like, people would see them and not know what they were, so they were described as, like, I saw a dragon! (laughs) You know, (laughs) stuff like that. A big, furry, spitting dragon. Yeah, right? So, uh... Those humps are delicious. Delicious. Um, so anyway, Douglas the camel (laughs) is buried there with the other Confederate soldiers. That's kind of cool! Like, they actually... The great irony is, aren't, uh, camels colorblind? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I guess Confederates weren't. Not at all, no. Um... Oh, no, no, no. Angry tweets. We're so going to get angry. No, no, no. It was for history. It wasn't about slavery at all. It was oh. so about fucking slavery. So about slavery. Uh, okay. Like, no, it's about states' rights. Yeah, it was about the states', the states rights, rights to, to have, have slaves. slaves. I think we're all on the same page that that's wrong. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> Vicksburg was a turning point in the Civil War and the place of a 47-day siege, resulting in a massive food shortage, a yellow mm-hmm. fever epidemic of plague level proportion in 1878 decimated the population after the civil war and before that native americans in the area had to fight an outbreak of smallpox outbreak of an outbreak yeah now what's fun is they got a lot of blankets from white guys uh uh-huh yeah so what when i saw this at first initially it was on a very apologists website Uh, like confederate apology type daughters of the confederacy type thing and so they were like the udc yeah they were very like oh well this was before the white man ever came they had smallpox now i was reading it but i read it in in that tone but yeah like bullshit no they don't just the white man ever came they just that had nothing to do with white smallpox just came whatever smallpox was a fucking european disease yep that the white man brought with them and they're like oh my god the native americans seem uniquely susceptible to it (laughs) because they haven't had generations of european experience to build up a tolerance to it they have had none of our plagues none of them why waste ammunition we could just give them blankets Oh, God, that pisses me yeah. off. Yeah, so we're going to have to let the anger go to get through the story, or we're going to be mad okay, this whole sorry. time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, I've also <laughs> had a few drinks, so I'm going to be like, fuck it, because I grew yeah. up, and my mother used to, my mother, God love her, used to be a member of the UDC. Only because she had, because being a genealogist, she, that, that membership gave her access to family records that she would not have otherwise uh, been able to find. Yeah. She's never been. She was a spy then. She was not really been, a member. Kind she of, was she a was spy. basically a genealogical mole. I like that. Yeah, that's way cooler. And so she had to join all these societies that were really... And she's like... But she finally got out of it because she was like, Oh, man, it's just too... Man, they're too bitter about losing the war. And my mother, <laughs> yeah. a Confederate, you know, I mean, she's she's her family's Confederate. Like she, that's her that's her line of descent. She's like, yeah, we we should have lost. I'm yeah. glad we lost. I wouldn't want to live in an America where the Confederacy had won. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been 150 years. Maybe get, get over, over it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Um, so, yeah, long story short, it was the Civil War. Mississippi loves slaves. Boo. I think let's all just agree. Boo on slavery. Boo. Uh, unless we can, I kind of want to get to a time where we can maybe enslave the rich. 
But isn't that just socialism? You can't say that now. They'll hear us and know our plans. No rich person is living, is listening to this. That's not true. Well, really? Look, I can believe what I want to believe. I may, maybe I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just saying. Like, like eat the rich. Just eat the rich. Just, <laughs> just on a side note, if you guys ever play a game called Quiplash, that's Jackbox games on like your Xbox or your PlayStation it's or whatever. So much fun. It's super fun. But I really know my audience, and I know if like anything ever comes up political, all I have to do is type in "eat the rich." And Michael and Jack will vote for, for me vote for every it. Like, single eat the time. Rich. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a socialist. I just think <laughs> assholes are assholes, no matter how much money they have. But when they have money, they can get away with more. They're shit. just that's the problem. Yeah, they just buy more. <sighs> anyway, okay. Anyway, so sorry. So so Vicksburg. Yes. <laughs> So during the spring and early summer of 1863, General Ulysses S. Grant had tightened a military noose around the city. More than 200 Union guns pounded the town on a daily basis for 47 days. The civilians in the city starved and dug somewhere around 500 caves into the hillsides, hoping to escape the federal artillery. The truth is, fewer than a dozen of those citizens were actually killed, but stories spread throughout the South about the terrible hardships of the people of Vicksburg. Mm. Food did run low inside the city, and people were reduced to eating mules, horses, dogs, and a delicious bread that was made of dried corn and peas. Mmm. I'm sorry, did you say reduced to? Uh, yes. Because horse is a delicacy in Italy. Don't, don't, no. We're not talking about that. (laughs) Even rats were sold in the butcher shops. Do we need to talk about where rats are a delicacy, or do I get to continue? You can continue. I just just love the idea of (laughs) confederates eating rats. There's just something, it just makes my heart smile. Yeah, it's true. Um... (laughs) By late June, nearly half the Confederate army was sick. Houses were in ruins, fences had been torn down and turned into firewood, lice and filth covered the bodies of the soldiers. Now, truth be told, that was probably accurate for both sides at yeah, that yeah. point. Because lice Cause, doesn't I mean, just stick to one side. Thing, we can talk about the rich and the Confederacy in the Union all the time, but the people who were fighting were poor. Yeah. Poor, Both period. sides didn't Both matter. Both sides were yep. fucking poverty, impoverished. Yeah. Um, but the city held out against the Union forces. This is such cra- so crazy to me. Until the 4th of July in 1863, when the Confederates of Vicksburg finally surrendered and the Stars and Stripes were raised above Vicksburg cor- the Vicksburg Courthouse. Here's the thing. Mm. July 4th would not be celebrated as a holiday in Vicksburg for another 81 years. I, okay, well, I guess yeah. I can't blame them. Yeah, for I mean, that's losing a battle. So maybe I mean, that's why they're hanging. Huge, it's yeah. only been 150 years since they lost the war. So maybe that's why they can't let it go. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Right. That's cr- I didn't know that about Fourth of July. Not being, ooh. I know. Isn't that? So that was what I first read. Because it just the, happened to also correspond to the date of their Yes. When surrender. I was in the um, Mad Baker Cafe, which uh, Jack and the girls had breakfast at mm-hmm. i ordered bacon it was delicious but that was all i could have because it was a bakery and i can't have gluten um and unfortunately Yankee. small towns <laughs> all over the u.s do not offer gluten-free options it's not my fault i hate that i am gluten-free but just you know it's not your fault it's not my fault i don't but like you get it to have bacon but i do get to have for bacon. like every meal it would be much worth worse if i could have bread but not bacon so i believe that go. yeah there you go. so Silver lighting. 
Um, Vicksburg National Military Park is what flanks the cemetery that I went to, and it has its own graveyard. It is claimed that late at night you can hear gunshots, horses, and sounds of the siege. This city is massively haunted. There's no way I can get all of the hauntings and details included, but here are a few. Uh. The Duff Green Mansion. I chose this because Duff is a family name, so... I was like, ooh, Duff, let's go It's with it. also the name of the beer from The Simpsons. That's right. Interesting. <laughs> You're a Duff, 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 Duff yeah, is a family Yeah, Duff, name? McDuff, Duff, yeah. Oh, oh, McDuff? Mm-hmm. Shit, Jamie, I knew that. I knew McDuff. Right. I just didn't make the connection. Also, uh, Beth, uh, Mick. Um, <laughs> I'm both. I'm both. My grandmother did that research. So, yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Uh, everybody from Scotland's like, ah, you're not Scottish. Fuck you. And I'm like, I'm not. Fuck me. I'm also Italian and all of the other things. Native American. Yeah. You are um, a beautiful amalgam gonna, of all the best parts of all right. those cultures. I'm an Elizabeth Warren Native American, also from Oklahoma, also told in family <laughs> stories. I've accepted that I've been partially Native American, but not enough to count my whole life. And now it's like, am I? I got to do that 23 in me. So I've got it and I'm going to do it and see if it comes up. Like what comes up? Because I mean, my grandfather is, you can tell it, I'm, you could tell it by looking at him, but as, as quasi British as I come across, I'm probably going to do 23 and me one day and find out that I'm from Haiti. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. No. It would just be a surprise. It would be a surprise. It would be quite, quite <laughs> a surprise. <laughs> So, um, okay. so ghosts. Yes. Ghosts in Vicksburg. Okay. The Duff Green Mansion served as a hospital during the Civil War, and it still bears some of the scars despite restoration. Bloodstains are still in the original flooring, and one of the ceiling beams shows where a cannonball struck the mansion before its occupants surrendered and turned it into a hospital. There are Ooh. reportedly numerous ghosts who haunt Duff Green, from the original mistress to soldiers who lost life and limb within its walls. An often reported sighting is of a Confederate soldier missing a leg sitting oh. in front of the fireplace. Can and I that's just, just say one of that many. Back in the day when you had to get a limb amputated to save your life from gangrene or whatever infection was going on. Anesth- anesthetics were no. not a thing. Whiskey so the was the anesthesia whis- choice. They give you whiskey, and the doctor maybe, usually, he might be smoking a fucking cigar while he did it. Uh, would just saw your fucking leg off, yeah. and I don't care how much whiskey you've had, you can That's still feel your leg come off. Yeah. Like, can just imagine that for a moment. I feel Sorry. like the benefit would be if you go into shock fast enough, you would forget it. Yeah, maybe. Right, like maybe. a baby's first Christmas. You're not going to remember that. <laughs> Um, Did you just compare yep. getting a limb amputated without an aesthetic to baby's first Christmas? I did. I like it. We'll accept it. <laughs> They're not going to remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably because they'll die. Yeah. There are several, though. There are several in different areas, uh, different soldiers, missing limbs, Confederate and Union. Oof. Yeah. And um, Anchuka. I think that's how you say it. A-N-C-H-U-C-A. Anchuka. It's I- a... Supposedly is Choctaw for Happy Home. It's been reported on An the ironic internet. name. Right. It's been reported a lot that it's Happy Home in Choctaw, but I don't speak Choctaw. And I feel like that a lot of these are being written by white people. So, so maybe, I don't know how true Maybe it is. that's just a word, the Choctaw word for where white people belong. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a happy home if you're over there in that house. Maybe that's, maybe that could be it. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so this, and you'll find this a lot too, there was like an original dwelling, usually in the late 1700s, early 1800s, and then they add on to it or completely change it. Mm. And so this is one of those houses. Uh, the first dwelling was erected on the site in, 18, in the 1820s by a local politician. In 1837, Richard Archer and his family moved into the Vicksburg mansion. In the late 1840s, so, yeah, so we've got the 20s, then we've got the 30s, it uh-huh. was added on to. In the 40s, the house was reconstructed into the Greek revival structure as it's seen today and is attributed to Vicksburg's most influential citizens of their time, Jane and Victor Wilson. Mr. Wilson was one of the town's most successful merchants, establishing coal and ice businesses, which seems competitive, right? So not not the guy from Dennis the Menace? No. Okay, because no, in my no. mind it's different. It's, it's, I mean, it could have been. Maybe. Let's go. In my heart, I want it to be. Did you ever see Dennis the Menace as a Confederate? No, I'm. In this case, I just see this is after the Union Confederate, and it's like Dennis the Menace is being white guilt. Oh, that's (laughs) that's real good. Okay, so the Wilsons and their seven children, six girls and one boy, survived the 47-day siege of the city. However, their only son and infant daughter ended up dying not long afterward due to unsanitary conditions and malnutrition. Uh, With the death of Mr. Wilson in 1865, two years later, Mrs. Wilson, overwrought with emotions and economic ruin, sold the property. Uh, by 1868, it was owned by Jefferson Davis's brother. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jefferson Davis, we know, was the president mm-hmm. of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the biggest traders to the United States ever. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah. It's just A little true. bit. In 1870, so his brother owned it in 1868 until he died in 1870. I'm sorry. In between that time, betwixt those two years, Jefferson Davis is said to have given one of his last speeches hmm. at, on the balcony of this house. <laughs> and what was that speech? Uh, we lost. Get over it quick. <laughs> Nobody listened. That's it verbatim. That's what he said. Uh, word for word. <laughs> so want that to be true. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, just... Like, they're really, you know, they're working out. They're try- They're helping us out quite a bit. So maybe we should just <laughs> fucking get over it. Um, so, okay, the hauntings. <laughs> we go Sorry, back. This is great. I love this We're so going to get in- We're going to so many people with oh, this well. episode. Only if I- you love slavery. If you don't love slavery, then you're fine. Um, okay, yeah. so Richard Archer was the wealthy businessman who owned the home before its current re- reconstruction. He owned it in um, the late 1830s. Okay. Mm-hmm. He was described as eccentric, stubborn, and extremely strict when it came to the upbringing of his five daughters. Among the five daughters uh, was his favorite daughter. Described as a carbon copy of Richard Archer, she was nicknamed Archie. Unfortunately, their relationship drastically changed when Richard Archer refused to let her marry the man she loved. So from that point on, Archie refused to speak to her father and ate by herself. She would not eat at the dining room. She went away, ate by herself, and stood at the fireplace in either the ladies' parlor or the main dining room. Well, good for her, I Right? Say. She was not having it. Like, if Dad's going to be a child about this, I can just have my meal elsewhere. Right. He's stubborn. I'm stubborn. Well, she's still stubborn because apparently Archie's spirit is believed to be still in the mansion. Mm-hmm. Throughout the years, the ghost of Archie has been spotted at the fireplace where she ate countless meals in solitude wow. yep 
The heartbroken spirit has also been frequently spotted at the top of the stairs, on the balcony, and at the fireplace in the main dining room. But according to employees, that's not the only strange occurrence that's taken place in the room. One such sighting took place around midnight when the owner of the bed and breakfast was returning to his room. From the foot of the stairs, he could see a strange light that seemed to pass through the upstairs bedroom door and out onto the balcony area. Suddenly, he saw the form of a woman with long hair in a long flowing dress hovering at the top of the stairs. Then, almost as quickly as she appeared, she disappeared, and the light made its way through the bedroom door on the right. Aside from Archie, employees believe other former residents haunt the house. On one occasion, a staff member heard water running in the upstairs area of the house. However, nobody else was there. Not long after, signs of a water leak led the owner to search the attic for a source. While no source for the leak was ever found, several portraits dating back to the 1880s were. The portraits were immediately hung in the entrance hallway, and there has been no leaking since. Oh! I know! Oh! One of the don't cre- forget us. Don't forget us. One of the creepiest occurrences involves the brass chandelier in the dining room. No. Originally a gaslight, the fixture was converted to electricity several years ago. However, when the chandelier's shadow appears on the wall, sometimes uh, appears on the wall of the stairwell, it's the perfect silhouette of the chandelier in its original gaslight form, complete with shadowy flames and smoke. I love. <laughs> you just died. That without us even knowing it, we both brought to the table today stories of weird shit about chandeliers. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I know. See, I would be so proud. I'm so proud. Yeah. Jamie. Uh, lucky. We just, we just have that kind of connection, you and I. I know. Luckily, though, we can uh, check it out for ourselves because, as I said before, it is a bed and breakfast. And they do... We're totally going. Yeah, and they do ghost tours and test stuff. So I talked to Jack, and I was like, next time we go, we should stay at this bed and breakfast and do one of the tours with the girls, because the girls loved it. Um, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So he's like, yes, but if we go back to the cemetery, you cannot yell losers at the Confederate <laughs> <laughs> gravestones. Uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> I was like, I did. I was like, losers! <laughs> Jack was like, oh, God. Now. He's like, don't antagonize. He doesn't even believe it, but he's like, oh, God, this whole town is going to attack us. Uh, and when you say tag, you don't mean, like, hashtag. No. Because they don't know what that is. Yeah. There. No, I said attack, really, but. Oh, yeah. you said tag. Yeah, we are Sorry. laughing. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> Cedar Grove. A whole family of ghosts is said to haunt this mansion built back in the 1840s. The ghost of John Klein smokes his favorite pipe in the parlor while his wife Elizabeth has been seen and heard walking up and down the front stairs. They are accompanied by the sounds of their ten children who have been heard ten. Now that was a family that did not expect all ten of them to survive. Well, all ten of them did not. Okay. Yeah, uh, they've been heard running in the hallways in the rooms. Two of the children died in the house as infants and an older child died in the nursery. Uh, they also had a son who died of an accidental gunshot wound. Apparently, he was carrying a gun and dropped it, and it went off when it landed and shot him in the back. So, Aww. four of their children died there. And they hear a lot of that. Now, it's been said that this is one of the most haunted mansions in 
uh, Mississippi. But, you know, that's such an arbitrary thing. It, they, yeah, most haunted. Yeah, I didn't find as much stuff on this one, but I also uh, didn't look at it as much as some of the other ones. So well, there's still children, plenty. It sounds like some of them, like the four that died, it sounds like they survived infancy. Uh, two of them died in infancy. Oh, two of them died. But still, yeah. the other two of them. Oh, they tragic, they were all though. born. Yeah, which, which is, is half rare. the battle. Yeah. Um, speaking of battles, <laughs> uh, no, no, just kidding. Um, apparently, they are not alone. The Klein family is not alone. A young woman who was a later resident in the house completed suicide in the ballroom. Her ghost has been said to appear in that room on the anniversary of her death. And strangely enough, there's still a fucking cannonball in the wall. Like, just in the wall, there's a cannonball. You know, that it's not uncommon for that to happen, yeah. because, like, the cannonball's there, and it's, like, to remove it, it would be, you'd have to, it yeah, might be a, a sign, structural concern. There's a sign that's like, please do not touch the cannonball. Yeah, because that crazy? the whole house yeah, may and you fall can do. I think you, you can do tours of that house, too. Okay, last but not least, we have the most famous haunted place in Vicksburg, the McCraven Home. Considered the most haunted house in Mississippi and is also ranked the third most haunted house in the United States. But again, who ranks it? Who knows? I don't know. But fucking, yeah, third. Why not? God damn it. Let's do it. I mean, it's got to have something going on if it's even considered. I mean, right. Yes. And it, and oh my, does it ever. Even so, McRaven, the now McRaven I probably sounds like a haunted house. McRaven. McRaven. Yeah. I could now, and, and I could have probably just done the whole thing on this house, but I was, I couldn't stop looking at all of, I know. Yeah. Rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. So here's what I got on the McRaven home. Okay. Uh, originally serving as a way station for pioneers en route to Nashville up the Mississippi, the McRaven house was built in 1797. By 1849, it had been reconstructed into the Greek Revival architectural style mansion as it appears today, and it is pretty extraordinary. We drove by some of these houses. Greek Revival was that was Amazing. all the rage, and that yeah. was especially and I at, love it after the American Revolution. Everyone yeah. wanted to get away from the English, the European style, the colonial, the colonial, yeah. and so they they're like, we're going to do the the Greek Revival style. Yeah. We're going to have our own Renaissance, and it's and it, it and it's nice. I like it. I think. Is this one yellow? If this one's not yellow, it's the other one. But anyway, I like yellow houses is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> so did Richard Ramirez. Huh. That's a whole other issue. Yeah. Okay. So one of the first documented <laughs> tragedies. Um, the more you know. Get creeped out by your own self. Uh, <laughs> first documented tragedies that occurred in the house happened in 1836 when Sheriff Stephen Howard's wife, Mary Elizabeth, who was all of 15 years old, oh. died. Practically an old maid by the right. standards of well, the day. She died during childbirth. Oh. They had just purchased and added on to the home earlier the same year. So sad. In 1863, during the siege, McRaven was used as a Confederate field hospital and campsite. Since it was located so close to the railroad, a major point of the battle, the house was battered by cannon, ba- cannon blasts from both the Union and the Confederate forces. However, it still sa- stands. Hmm. It has had reconstruction, but it's sure. still standing. Sure. Uh, the house was used as the Union headquarters during the occupation of the city. The owner, John Bob, that's true, that was his name, John Bob. <laughs> John Bob. Um, John Bob. He threw a brick at some Union soldiers that were picking flowers in the lawn after they refused to leave. So he basically came out, they were picking flowers, he was like, what the fuck, go away. And they were like, no, so he threw a brick at them. And then and they were picking flowers. They were picking, why were they picking flowers? flowers. Well, it was a, the Union uh, headquarters, but he still owned the home. 
And he was like, stop picking my flowers. And they're like, we do what we want. How the fuck were Union soldiers picking the flowers? They're like, I'm going to press these. Because they had, back o- home they had occupied the city at this time. They're probably wooing some Confederate ladies who were like, we don't like slavery, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> on, the side, on the side. Well, let's be we're fair. Union ladies or like Confederate ladies were probably like, you know, well, we were... We're only doing slightly better than the slaves. <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> they were like, you know what? This is going to be a best option. So, mm-hmm. hey, Union soldier. I like snow. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, they, uh, afterwards, later, he had complained about them and was like, stop doing this. They were like, oh, yeah, totally. We're going to do stuff about it. What, they, what happened was later, 25 uh, Union troops took him to Stout's Bayou, about 100 yards from the house, and fatally shot him in the back and face, marking the first recorded act of violence perpetrated by Union troops after the siege. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty bad. The house uh, was used by Colonel Wilson, who Grant placed in charge of federal troops, and uh, Captain McPherson, a former resident of the city. So... He served, McPherson served as a liaison between the occupying troops and the residents of the town. One night, McPherson failed to return from his usual rounds and was declared missing. A search was started, but the young man was not found. A night later, McPherson returned, although not in the flesh. His mutilated-looking apparition appeared in the McRaven house. The ghost was dripping with spectral water and bloody. He materialized to Colonel Wilson and told his commander that he had been murdered by the Confederate sympathizers and thrown into the river. Since that time, the ghost has continued to appear bearing the same message to to other occupants of the house. Mm. So... You know, there's the Union story to vilify the Union, but then also the Confederates were because they saw him as a traitor, right? Because now he's helping the Union. And how unfortunate for the ghost to like keep delivering that message, hoping it'll like hit. And like now we're so far gone from that that like people, whoever's going to hear you is going to be like, I don't even know. What do you want me to do with that information? Right. <laughs> what can right. I? I don't Am even I know. Tweet like this? we're like, like what? It's, it's been a long time. I don't even know. Exactly. I don't right. like what. What do you want? Right. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah. Still Can you imagine mission. like if you died angry now because of some wrong or distressed in some way. Yeah. yeah. If you just died horrible. I mean horribly at the yeah. hands of someone else. People like, you probably grew up with. Right. Keep in mind. Yeah. Like it's gonna like if you if that was the only thing you got to say like if you had the power to manifest to future generations and be like these people like Roger. Killed me. Yeah, like it's and it is it's a not going to mean anything. Like, what a, it always what a horrible fate mm-hmm. to only be able to communicate a message that absolutely cannot get purchased anywhere anymore because people mm-hmm. are like, oh, "Who the fuck is Roger?" Yeah, Do right. you know what I mean. Like it, it's that's so sad to me. It is sad. It's so sad. Yeah, this the town too is very. Have you seen Castle Rock? Mm-hmm. It's very Castle Rock. Like the feel of it, small mm-hmm. town, so, like. Some parts are just like these lovely houses that have been restored or, or kept up and they look amazing. But then there's this abandoned hospital that you drive past it and you feel creepy. Mm. And like a few years ago, a woman was killed inside that hospital oh and that like some ghost hunters found her there. Like found the dead body of yes, the woman? Yes. While they were investigating for ghosts. So, you know, that happened. They were like, a lot they, of, came, they came up, did they come up on the body and be like, ah, we're not qualified for this because you're they too went new. Ahead, they went ahead to the cop. Yeah, right. They went to the cops. They were like, we're not supposed to be on here. We don't have the permission to be on this property, but 
We just found this Holy dead lady. Holy shit. Yeah. And then, um, you know, there's abandoned buildings. There's parts that just look like, you know, like there was one house we drove by and there was an older man outside of it. And it was like, this house should be condemned. <sighs> but then there are other, like the, the mansions that have all been reconstructed and everything. So it's, it's a very, it's a weird very kind of- strange. And I mean, you feel that kind of weird energy when you're there too. It's just a little unusual. It's a like of a Castle town, Rock is the I best way that, I can I get think of. a feeling of a town that's kind of fighting the onslaught of modernity and dying yeah. while it does so. Yes, it is It is a town that is dying, it feels like. That's so sad. Yeah. Uh, anybody who lives there, I'm sorry for saying that, but it's true. Look, drive around your town. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair... The same kind of things happen in bigger cities. They happen in Dallas. They happen in New York. There's just so many other places to look that maybe you don't see how much of it is falling. And I think in smaller towns, it's more personal. Because in larger towns, you kind of expect it. You expect there to be areas that are just forgotten about. I mean, in in big towns, because big cities are so impersonal anyway. Right. Um, but in small towns, they're like this is at one. This was at one time a community where everyone mm-hmm. knew each other. Like everyone knew each other. I get the by idea. Name, it still is that way. You know, and yeah. then, and yet, so it's so much. More, it seems so much more emotionally fraught when the town starts dying because it means, you know, like if you're living in a big city, even here in Dallas, you know, which is not by any means the biggest city in the U.S., but it's a, it's a big city. If some if your neighbor moves out, it doesn't tug at your heartstrings. It's like, it's typical. Right. But if you're living in a small town, you've grown up to a particular family for generations and suddenly they abandon that, that, that familiar, that familial property. It hits you. Yeah. It feels like in some ways it must feel like a, it must break your heart. It must be, feel like a betrayal. Well, and that's like you're the thing, leaving the homeland. This is very <clears throat> like generation after generation. There was one, uh, uh, gravestone in particular that we looked at, that it was, I can't remember the name. It was an Italian name. Um, and, I mean, since the early 1800s, this family has been in this one town. Uh-huh. And not just in the town, but they've been a big, like, well-known people like really within the town. And, like, in... one of the most recent uh, members of this family passed away a couple years ago. And it's, like, that's what you see when you Google the name. And Vicksburg uh-huh. is this person who passed away because he was well-loved in the town and everything like that. I will say, too, it also seems still very segregated, very mm. Mississippi in that way. Um, kind of for people who don't, who have not been down in the South, it is still very much divided that way. Um, That's so unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. It's for a just, variety of reasons. but So it's kind of like this weird feeling, like you're in the past, but also present because it's struggling. I don't know. It's just a very, it's, it's, different it's just like it makes me feel like castle rock anyway (laughs) so uh the the ghost of captain mcpherson is not alone there have been sightings of a woman with long brown hair and a plain dress in the same bedroom where mary elizabeth died the one woman that uh the 15 year old girl that died giving childbirth um incidentally the most active room is that room, and she has been seen by a number of reputable witnesses. There's some confusion over whether she died on childbirth or two weeks later, but it was giving birth that killed her, basically. Long story short. Yeah. That's why she did. 
Uh, her ghost is to believe to be responsible for the bedside lamp in this room, which has been reported to turn on and turn on and off seemingly at will. In the early 1980s, 80s, I can talk. I know what words are. <laughs> in the early 1980s, the owners who did not live in the house would regularly receive calls from the neighbors reporting the lights in McRaven had been turned on. Mary Elizabeth's ghostly apparition has appeared on the house's flying wing staircase and in the dining room. While handling Mary Elizabeth's wedding shawl, some people say it emits heat, while others claim it nearly jumped out of their hands. There have also been sightings of Civil War soldiers walking about the house, Native Americans, and even some of the previous owners, specifically the Murray family who lived there in the late 1880s until the 1960s. So they spent the most time in the house. Long family history. William Murray, his wife Ellen Flynn, and three of their six children all died in the home. Two of their remaining daughters stayed in the home and lived there until one of them passed away. I think one of them was one of the ones that died in the home, and the other one went to a nursing home. She sold the house, and the woman, Annie, I think was her name, she went to the nursing home. Mm -hmm. She is seen in the house as well. Wow. All of the people who have passed away in this house that have been documented have been seen. So it's almost like... It's quite a family. Well, yeah. But also, the other people who have passed away in the house have been seen in the house. Uh, There's reports that that there are soldiers buried in the backyard. Because, I mean, they were just... Yeah. Um, and it's gone through multiple restorations and is largely unchanged in appearance from the 19th, 19th century. Wow. So it looks the same. It's super haunted by everything. <laughs> and is it's also, crowded. it's crowded. And it also, like, it makes you feel like, you know, I hear this thing about portals being, and Jack and I talk about this all the time, like, something would have to create a portal mm. and it's usually a lot of deaths in a short amount of time or and and my argument is a lot of births in a short amount of time so maybe a, a hospital that has a baby boom where 100 babies are born in one night something like that something crazy can create a portal in the same way that you know well, these soldiers die you often hear the term uh or the the phrase like something strong enough to punch a hole between this world and the next yes, yeah and so presumably any moment or incident of sufficient emotional intensity uh could yeah. possibly do something like that if that's a thing so yeah birth and death i mean those yeah. are two of the most <laughs> intense experiences anyone goes through it, and they deal with life Right. Uh, yeah, they're, they're the book, the beginning of life. of life, and the end. Yeah. Mm. So, um, anyway, it, it's just like if anything's a portal, I feel like this entire town is a portal, mm. and maybe that's why it feels so in between. In be- like the town itself feels in between being alive and dying out. Well, if the town maybe itself that's why. so clings to its past, it may be a beacon. To it does a little can, bit, it and can't it, let go. it's also they're very quaint areas. Don't let me like. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah. any, any town is going to be complicated, but some cities make an, a, a concerted effort to maintain their historical identity, and that has to, if, if ghosts are hanging out, like, they're going to be attracted to what they know. Yeah, you right. You know, I don't see, like, if I'm a ghost, I, you know, if, if, if someone's a ghost, like, that died in the 30s, they're not necessarily going to be attracted to 
a hotel that's brand new with right. with you know new outfittings and everything because it's it's beyond them it's not what they know it's not comforting and if you're a ghost presumably if you're just kind of adrift between worlds you're going to gravitate to what resembles the world you knew right not the future because that's alien it's alienating like i don't know what to do well and i guess you think about those haunted cities you know you've got um the the most haunted cities in you know the world are usually the ones that resemble they look the same for well, centuries in some places. And I think also those are those are cities where the living feel transported. When they yeah. go to them, they're like, this is exactly how it was right. 100, 200, 300 years ago. And so it, it maybe wakes you up to like, wow, people stood in this spot. People yeah. sat at this table and ate because it's the same fucking table. Where, let's face it, especially here in the States, there's not a lot of opportunities to do that because our, our mentality being such a young country in the grand scheme of things, we tend to just kind of, you know, right. bulldoze our history and erect new buildings and new things yes. because everyone, everything's we're very, disposable. We're all about, like, this generation right now is the one that matters the most. And we feel that way every generation. Right. There are enclaves like Vicksburg that, that yeah. feel like, no, no, we're going to hold on to this history. Yeah. I would recommend, all. you know, if you, if you get the chance to go through it, to go through it and stay mm-hmm. at one of these, you know, one of the bed and breakfasts. Breakfasts? Bre- breakfasts? One of the... <laughs> B&B's B&B's (laughs) I begin Um, to understand the prevalence of uh, of acronyms right B&B's or one you know there's there are hotels in the area there's a casino randomly Um, I guess it's right off the Mississippi so there are several casinos Mm, so mm. there's that kind of stuff to do so it's it's just but then you get into the town and it's very quaint and then you get into the town and it gets creepy Mm. and so I would you know if you're making the drive it's a great place to stop just oh look through that God, cemetery. Oh I think God. the cemetery, too, is open like 24 hours. I mean, that's... So, you know. Wow. There you have it. That's Vicksburg, Mississippi. Just part of it. I know just, I couldn't I mean, cover all of it. Wow. Um, and, but there I feel are some, like we could do a whole episode. Uh-huh. Series could, I could have done a series. I thought on... about it. I was like, I could do a series. But it's the end of the year. That's and true. so I didn't want to start Well, that's a, a good series. teaser. We could always come back and revisit that. But that's, that's a lot of information. Yeah, lot, next time we go, I'll be sure I'll go. Maybe have some stories. Oh my god, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. So there cool. you have it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no Thank problem. You. I'm glad you enjoy it. Oh my god. So I guess that's, it's time to wrap it up. Yeah, that's yeah. all for today's episode of Cool Intentions. Do, 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 Thank do, you so much do. for listening, you guys. And check us out on Instagram and Twitter where we'll post images of the stuff we talked about. I will post pictures of those gravestones because I took a bunch of pictures of those gravestones. Those are such great pictures, too. Thank you. The ones, too, of the. You'll have to zoom in with the one of the vultures in the background. Uh-huh. It's really creepy. <laughs> it's so and they would perfect. just swirl above. I mean, it's, if you love Neil, Ga- uh, Neil Gaiman, you're going to love these pictures. Um, so anyway, uh, we will also update you on our Patreon that we're going to start, hopefully at the end of January, beginning of February. Yes. We have merchandise coming, other fun announcements to make. So follow us there mm-hmm. um, and, and we'll keep you up to date on that. Yeah, stuff. and of course you can go to googleintentions.com for links and to submit your own personal supernatural experience for consideration to be read as a cold opening for a future episode uh again thank you aaron for your contribution to thank this you one. thank you and uh you can also just email those stories if you want uh directly to ghoul intentions podcast at gmail.com again that is ghoul intentions podcast all one word all lowercase at gmail.com so now we do the thing where you give me a quote and yes. I fuck it up. 
All right. Before that, I just want to say <laughs> Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year, yes. yes. And we hope your holidays were what? good, but we hope the, the You've new You've made year... our last quarter of this year fucking amazing. It's, yeah. We've really, awesome. really enjoyed this, and we're really looking forward to all of the fun that 2019 will bring for all of us. I have a feeling um, it's going to be a pretty good year. I know. My spidey senses are saying it's going to be fun. Good year for ghosts. That's right. It's a good year for ghosts. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year. And here is today's quote. Art thou ready? All right. (laughs) A laugh can be a very powerful thing. Why sometimes in life, it's the only weapon we have. Oh, God. It spoke to me when I read it, and I was like, I feel like I'm not the only one who needs to hear that right now. That's a beautiful quote. You want to hear it again? Yes, please. And give me a hint. Okay, well. Because there's, I have several things floating around that it could be. A laugh can be a very powerful thing. Why sometimes in life, it's the only weapon we have. I'm going to need a hint because I have the like... The character least... who says it is animated. Ah, who framed Roger Rabbit. Yes. <laughs> yes, I got it. I it's Roger Rabbit it. and who framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, yes. Oh it's such God, a great so line. It's I'm such so a great happy. Line. Yeah. I love that movie. It's so good. I love good. that movie and that is a phenomenal line. It's such a good line. And you know, I've oh. never, because, you know, we hear it in Roger Rabbit's voice so you don't think of it out of context. But when you read it out of context, you're like, oh it's so God. true. It's so real. It's so true. That's why we laugh about ghosts. That's right. like, Ghosts are kind of a sad thing. Yeah, and I feel like that's what this podcast has been for us and also I hope for listeners. Uh, So I hope that, you know, I hope it reaches other people that, you know, besides as much as it it spoke to me. But if not, it's cool because it still spoke to me and I feel good about it. Oh my God. So thank you again. Perfect choice. Perfect choice for the year end. Thank you. And remember, it's okay okay to to sleep sleep with with the the lights lights on. on.